are up and going with the final show of your work week. Hello, I am John Rawl, and this is y'all. The NFL Draft, first round, held Thursday night from Cleveland, and on the banks of Lake Erie, it was a cool, rainy evening, and we'll walk through some of the highlights of what happened on the opening night of the NFL Draft in just a second. Also here in this first hour, we have an update from that shooting in Boone, North Carolina. Now two law enforcement officials from North Carolina have been killed in an unfortunate scene there over this last couple of hours. So we'll update that here on today's Y'all Show as part of our headlines. And we also have information coming out of Mississippi where we now know if you shoot a bald eagle, at least according to the federal courts, what it's going to cost you. You don't want to be shooting eagles when you're out and about. So all that coming up here. Also a crazy scene in Houston, Texas this week. An alligator and a cow both on the highway. I'll let you know how that turned out all right here on the Y'all Show. And here in this first hour of Y'all, in addition to having news and talk about the NFL draft, we'll rewind back to Tuesday when Kobe Bennett of Y'all.com was on with us and he walks through some of the fun stuff on the homepage of the South. We'll share some of that here later this hour and we'll wrap it up with kobe and a sports update from y'all.com all that here in hour number one hour two today we're going to take you to the atl and a tribute to colonel bruce hampton bruce hampton a jam band legend and he would have been celebrating today his 74th birthday sadly colonel bruce hampton had a big blowout back in 2017 to celebrate his 70th birthday and it was at the fox theater in atlanta and all kinds of celebrities were there they were having a great time four-hour concert and at his 70th birthday bash colonel bruce hampton suffered a fatal heart attack and died at his own birthday bash and we'll be playing one of his songs in hour two as part of our friday free for y'all getting you ready for the weekend also hour two today we're going to go back to our fishing forecast craig faulkner has that and he's got something to say about the the lakes and the hunting grounds of the southeast that's coming up hour two our fishing forecast also in hour two a look at a bunch of movies that are hitting theaters here this weekend as part of our dixie cinema showcase and we'll have that hour two today and then in art, art, it's art hour, art time, art class. That's what we need to call it. Hour three, Art Cruise will be in, and we'll get his take on all things political, sports, uh, relationship advice, and more. All that coming up in hour three with Art Cruise. Hey, if you want to join us here on Y'all, we are happy to take your input. And, hey, you can call us or you can text us. The number's the same either way, 803 803- 816-1170 is how you can do that and we're here 24 7 if you're catching us on a great radio station that carries the y'all show or you're listening to us via podcast as we are up and going at apple podcast also iHeartRadio's podcast section and we're at y'all.com and the y'all show just look at the big bright red tab uh, i guess that would be a tab at the top of y'all.com and there you'll see the y'all show and you can listen to it anytime you want to there even if you're listening to us on one of those great awesome radio partners that we have if you have to go to the 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 powder room and you missed a portion of the show you can go back and reference it in our podcast form so we make it pretty easy to catch up with us and we appreciate our growing 
array of listeners that we have. We even have viewers. We have, if you go to y'all.com, we do interviews and we post those at y'all.com. So if you want to see portions of the show, check that out at y'all.com. Perhaps Thursday night, you tuned in not to y'all.com, but to other outlets and saw the 2021 NFL draft. Once again, the National Football League comes through in a big way, puts on a spectacle there in Cleveland, Ohio. And we'll get Art Cruz in hour three to weigh in with what he saw Thursday night and the fashion included with that. But I thought it was a very good night. I thought there was plenty of drama. Some of it was expected with the number one and number two picks. I think that went the way. Then when you got the number three pick in the NFL draft, the San Francisco 49ers held all the cards. And I thought they kind of pulled a wild card with their selection and then you saw some guys who had led a team to a national championship at QB going way down in the draft and ultimately perhaps ended up at a very good spot for him. So let's go through the, I guess, the highlights of the first round draft here before we move over to some of the headlines. Number one, Trevor Lawrence, the Clemson QB, a guy who led the Tigers to a national championship in his first year, the six foot six, 213 pound signal caller out of Calhoun, Georgia, goes to Urban Meyer and the Jacksonville Jaguars as the number one pick in the 2021 NFL Draft. Now, I don't know if this 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 may be, now that I think about it, Clemson's first number one overall draft pick in a long time, maybe ever. I haven't actually seen or heard a story about that, but Clemson's had an amazing list of players that have gone on to the NFL to the Tigers credit but they don't often go number one overall so this this could be historic I would have to look on ClemsonTigers.com and give you the full story on that one but Clemson had more than one player drafted here in this first round we're going to come back in a second and listen to Trevor Lawrence as he was interviewed by Jacksonville Media following his selection at number one here is the breakdown of the other players selected in round one of Thursday night's NFL draft. BYU quarterback Zach Wilson, he goes to the New York Jets. Then the drama with the 49ers. Many thought they would go Mac Jones. They instead chose FCS North Dakota State's Trey Lance with the third pick, quarterback there for the Bison. He goes to the Niners. Then the Falcons were on the clock, and they went the Florida Gator route. They went with tight end Kyle Pitts to go help out Coach Smith there and the new regime with the Dirty Birds. LSU went to a LSU receiver. Jamar Chase is going to a familiar spot as he's going to be catching passes from a guy named Joe Burrow as the Cincinnati Bengals chose Chase at number five. Jalen Waddle, Alabama receiver. He went to the Miami Dolphins. He'll be reunited with a guy named Tua Tagviola there in South Florida. Benay Sewell, the Oregon offensive lineman, the Detroit Lions choose him at number seven. When North Dakota State's Trey Lance went number three to the San Francisco Niners, I thought that at number eight, the Carolina Panthers would jump in and get Mac Jones because all they have right now quarterback-wise is Sam Darnold. You thought maybe Sam Darnold was an insurance policy for a really good pick for the Panthers at number eight. No, they surprised me. They surprised a lot of people. They chose a guy that I had never heard of. And I'm sure if you really, really, really study SEC football, you would have heard of this guy. But I'd never heard of him. J.C. Horn out of South Carolina. 
cornerback goes number eight. He goes right up Interstate 77 from Columbia to Charlotte to be a Carolina Panther, going at number eight. At number nine, another Crimson Tide player, Patrick Sertain II, goes to the Denver Broncos. That was a surprise. Denver could have gone QB as well. They chose a cornerback at number nine. Devontae Smith. Now, this was a choice the Cowboys had. They traded down, and the Heisman Trophy winning wide receiver from Bama goes to the Philadelphia Eagles. Justin Fields, the former Georgia and Ohio State quarterback, he's selected in the 11th spot by the Chicago Bears. A lot of people think that he could be the future of that franchise, Monsters of the Midway. Micah Parsons out of Penn State. He goes to the Dallas Cowboys. He's an inside linebacker. Offensive tackle Rashawn Slater, a Northwestern Wildcat, is selected by the Los Angeles Chargers. USC offensive guard Alia Tucker goes to the New York Jets. Jets with two spots there in the top 15 picks. Then all the way at number 15, Alabama QB Mac Jones goes to the New England Patriots. Coach Belichick likely sees Jones as an heir apparent to the dynasty that Tom Brady left there in Foxborough. It'll be his option if he can outseed Cam Newton in that position. I actually have something to say about that in a second. But Jones goes to New England. You have Zayvon Collins of the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. He is selected by the Arizona Cardinals. Another Crimson Tide player, the offensive tackle, Alex Leatherwood, is selected by the Las Vegas Raiders. Miami defensive end Jalen Phillips stays in Miami as he'll be suiting up now for the Miami Dolphins. Dolphins picking him in the 18th spot. 19th spot is Kentucky linebacker Jamin Davis. He goes to the WFT at number 19. Kadarius Toney from the Florida Gators, a receiver for the Orange and Blue. He is selected by the New York Football Giants. Uh, Pay goes to the Indianapolis Colts. He had been a defensive end for the Michigan Wolverines. A guy, I think, was born in Liberia. Caleb Farley out of the Hokie land. He goes to the Tennessee Titans. Titans had a chance, perhaps, to select a wide receiver. They chose not to. They went with a cornerback in Farley, and he'll be in Music City now playing for the Titans. Christian Darasaw of Virginia Tech, so two Hokies back-to-back in the draft. As Darasaw goes number 23 to the Minnesota Vikings. Najee Harris, a running back for the Crimson Tide. He's selected by the Pittsburgh Steelers at number 24. Another Clemson player is headed to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So the Jags with two Clemson players selected in the first round. Travis selected by the Jags. He's, of course, a running back with a Louisiana connection. Greg Newsom II out of Northwestern. He was selected by the Cleveland Browns, cornerback there at Northwestern, now suiting up there along Lake Erie. Rashad Bateman, a Minnesota Gopher, who I think is a Georgia native wide receiver for the Gophers. He is selected to be a receiver now in the NFL for the Baltimore Ravens, picked in the 27th spot. Peyton Turner, a Houston Cougar, selected by the New Orleans Saints, a defensive end there for the Saints. Eric Stokes, a Georgia Bulldog, cornerback for the Dogs. He was selected by the Green Bay Packers, so he doesn't have to change his logo too much going from the Dogs to the Packers. He was selected 29th. Gregory Rousseau, Miami Hurricane, selected by the Buffalo Bills in the 30th spot. He was a defensive end. Offensive line, our outside linebacker from Penn State, Jason Oa, 
he was selected by the Baltimore Ravens. I believe they did some trading down or up to get that spot there at number 31. And lastly, rounding up the first round on Thursday night, selected by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, your defending Super Bowl champion, the Washington Husky outside linebacker Joe Tryon, selected by them, the Tampa Bay Bucks in the 32nd pick of the NFL draft. Some analysis of the NFL draft. If you look at the conferences, the SEC with 12 first-round picks Thursday night, 12. The next closest conference, the Big Ten had seven first-rounders. The Atlantic Coast Conference with six. The Pac-12 had three. The American Athletic Conference had two first-rounders on Thursday night. BYU had one. And then the Bison of North Dakota State had a selection there in the first round. Now, specifically to Alabama, and this is pretty mind-blowing for some of you out there in terms of Nick Saban. In the NFL draft since he's been at Alabama, Nick Saban has had 33 first-round picks. 33 first-round picks since he's been on patrol in Tuscaloosa since 2007. The number of losses Nick Saban has had at head coach of the University of Alabama since he was there in 2007, 23. He's had 10 more first-rounders chosen in the NFL draft than he's had losses in his time in Tuscaloosa. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I think you would say that. Now, as we said, one of those selections from Alabama that went to the NFL on Thursday was Mac Jones, quarterback, picked number 15 by the New England Patriots. Does that create a controversy? you got an Alabama guy now suiting up in the red and blue of New England, and then you still have Cam Newton on the roster there. But it looks like Coach Belichick is going to have Mac Jones right now be an heir apparent, as it looks like they are okay having him come in and be an understudy of Cam Newton while he gets ready for a career in the NFL. The Patriots went 7-9 and nine last season, missed the playoffs for the first time, and Cam Newton is on the roster. Another Auburn guy is currently still on the Patriots roster as the 2019 fourth-round pick Jared Stidham is there, and they also have another guy as a backup quarterback for them. Belichick addressed the quarterback situation, saying, Cam's our quarterback. Whatever time Jared or Mac are ready to challenge and compete, then we'll see how that goes. So, Cam, you still have a job in the NFL for the Patriots. I thought perhaps the Patriots would be trading away Cam Newton's services to a, another suitor, but that did not happen. But, yes, a big night in the NFL with the draft going on first round. Second and third round are this evening, and then you've got the subsequent rounds taking place over Saturday. Now let's go in and hear the number one draft choice, Trevor Lawrence. He was picked by the Jaguars, and he had a chance late on Thursday night to talk to some of the Jacksonville media, and we've got audio of that. Here is your number one pick out of Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, here on the Y'all Show, talking to the Jag Media Corps. First of all, how excited I am to be coming down to Jacksonville. Couldn't be more excited. I think it's a great fit. Uh, me and my family, we're, we're just so excited to get down there. Thank you guys for all the support already. Like We're not even there yet, and we definitely feel the love and the support. And I'm really excited just to bring some energy to the city and um, do everything in my power um, to get us back to where, to where we want to be. So thank you guys so much. Uh, this is going to be a really fun year, and just know that once, once I get there, 
Um, all my focus, all my attention is to making us the best we can be. So thank you guys. Hi, Trevor. Congratulations on being selected number one overall. Obviously, you're going to a, a franchise whose fan base hasn't known an awful lot of success in, in recent years. So what do you say to them when you get to Jacksonville? And what's the message to everybody ahead of what you hope will be a very successful career? Yeah, just just that I'm going to put the work in. You know, no one's going to work harder. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to, I know I'm going to love the city. So I'm just super excited to be there. And that's really the main thing that I can say is that I'm going to put the work in. I'm going to do what it takes. And um, I feel really good about the coaching staff and the team that we have in Jacksonville. And I'm super excited to get get down there and meet everybody. Um, But man, I'm I'm just pumped and uh, the best is yet to come. That's what what we said here at Clemson. And I'm just going to take that on to, to the next step, which is Jacksonville. So I'm super excited to be a Jag. Can you just talk about how much you've been able to get from your conversations with Urban Meyer in terms of you know the offense, talking about how uh, you know you can ramp up with that, and uh, what your expectations are in terms of being able to uh, to lead once you do get here, being a being a rookie. Yeah, just uh, my mindset. Well, first of all, Coach Coach Meyer got a great feel from just talking to him on the phone, and obviously. I'm excited to get down there and, and be in person with, you know, the guys and the coaches and all that. Um, but I, I think the, the biggest thing is that he's a winner. You've seen he's done that his whole career. So I'm really excited to be a part of that. And then number two, like you said, about just adjusting and adapting. Um, I, I think that's something I do well just because I want to earn the respect of, of everyone around me, the teammates, coaches. Um, I'm not really ex- – I'm not expecting for anyone to hand me anything. Uh, I want to come in there and earn the respect and the right to lead the team. So – uh, that's that's what I'm going to do and uh, just put the work in, like I said. And there is your number one draft pick in the 2021 NFL Draft, Trevor Lawrence, Calhoun, Georgia native, Clemson quarterback, great, uh, a national championship quarterback for the Tigers, and now a Jacksonville Jaguar and perhaps the lifesaver of that franchise and I didn't know until watching Thursday night's draft why Trevor Lawrence was kind of uh, high on the number sixteen. Do you know? Do you know why? And Vol fans, y'all be happy. Evidently, his mama must have been a Tennessee Vol fan growing up there in North Georgia. Yeah, it was Peyton Manning the reason that Trevor Lawrence had that number sixteen. I don't know if that's going to carry over to the next level, but uh, watching the draft, they talked about. Trevor Lawrence and Peyton Manning got together at the April Masters in Augusta, Georgia. And Manning was joking with Trevor Lawrence saying, hey, I hope you beat a record I made when I was a rookie for the Indianapolis Colts as Peyton Manning threw the record for interceptions for a rookie quarterback back in the 1998 season, I think it was, for the Indianapolis Colts. And maybe Trevor Lawrence will break that record but if that's what it takes to become a hall of fame qb as peyton manning did in his time for the colts and broncos then i'm sure trevor lawrence will be happy to take that responsibility with the record for the jacksonville jaguars again congratulations to all the young men who were selected thursday night first rounders still lots of talent on the board and we'll find out how that plays out here on this friday and into the weekend nfl draft they did a great job and I'll kind of share more thoughts about how it went and just the great job the NFL does with that each year as we have Art Cruz in here in our number three. All right, college baseball. We're going to go ahead and wrap up our sports coverage here this hour before we move into the news headlines in the next segment. 
College baseball, a top 25 team in action on Thursday night, and the Tennessee Vols defeated the Kentucky Batcats in Knoxville at Lindsey Nelson Stadium. 14-4, to Tennessee gets the victory in this Thursday, Friday, Saturday series between these rivals in the SEC. So the Tennessee Vols baseball team continues to be impressive. 14-4 to Thursday, they'll be playing the Batcats again this evening as well as Saturday. And we'll have the complete top 25 breakdown of college baseball in our number three. A quick look at NBA. We'll talk about the association as they're kind of winding things down as May is going to take place on Saturday. And the NBA teams are jockeying for their position to use a Kentucky Derby term, which again, the Derby held on Saturday around 7 Eastern. Tune in, get your best apparel on, get your best drink ready. Right now, the Brooklyn Nets are the leaders of the eastern side of the NBA with a 43-20 and 20 mark. The Sixers are behind them. Those two teams are the only teams who've technically clinched a playoff berth at this point, Nets and 76ers. They're followed by the Bucks, the Knicks, the Atlanta Hawks. What a turnaround there this year. Atlanta is currently in fifth, the fifth spot of the NBA's eastern division. The Celtics are at six. And then you've got a grouping of teams here that will be trying to get into what they have. I think they call it a playoff this year. They're doing a play-in. They're doing something a little bit different. The Right now, and this is subject to change because there aren't that many games being played here in the closing week. Miami is at 7. The Charlotte Hornets are at 8. Indiana currently in 9. And the Wizards are in 10th. Those on the outside looking in in the Eastern Division, the Bulls, Raptors, Cavaliers, Magic, and the Detroit Pistons are down at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. Western Conference, the two teams that have already clinched their playoff spot, the Utah Jazz and Phoenix Suns are 1-2. and two. The Clippers are right now third with a 43-21 and 21 record. Very good basketball being played on the Western Conference side. The Nuggets fourth. The Lakers are at number five. Dallas checks in at number six. And then you've got, again, teams trying to get into this play-in mix. The Trailblazers currently at seventh. The Memphis Grizzlies have rebounded. The Grizz right now under 500, but they have a chance to get to the playoffs with a 31-30 and 30 mark. The Spurs are currently in the ninth spot, and the Golden State Warriors, a little bit of a turnaround for Seth Curry and crew. They are in the tenth spot of the Western Conference. Those currently on the outside looking in, the Pelicans with a 28-35 and 35 mark, the Kings, Thunder, Timberwolves, and the Houston Rockets have a dismal 16-47 and 47 mark, the worst in the NBA, by the way, in H-Town. And that is a look at what's going on in the association. To golf after the first round was held on Thursday at Palm Harbor, Florida's Innisbrook Resort Copperhead Course. It's the Valspar Championship. The former U.S. Open winner, Keegan Bradley, who has maybe the worst setup for a golf shot. It is so frustrating to watch him. But he's a good golfer, and he finished his first round seven under on Thursday. Others near the lead in this Valspar Championship, Max Homa, Peyton Kazir, or Patton Kazir rather, Lucas Glover, a former Clemson golfer. He's in the mix. Scott Brown there. Then you've got Emilio Grillo of Argentina and other names of note here. Troy Merritt is also doing quite well in this for after the first round. And then also you have Jason Kokrak tied for the tenth spot, all at the Valspar Championship taking place at Palm Harbor, Florida's Innisbrook Resort. 
if you want to see some good golf being played this weekend, that's where the big golfers are hanging out on this first weekend, the first Saturday and Sunday of the month of May. And don't forget the Kentucky Derby also racing right around sunset from Louisville's Churchill Downs. We've got a look at news headlines. Those are coming up after this break. Don't forget, you can catch us here 24-7-803-816-1170. More of the show that's all about the South is coming up. Life ain't all that easy. I can testify to that. It's been up and down and round and round to get to where I'm at. If you could see how I'm living in this old car I drive, well, you'd probably wonder and even ponder why I even wanna stay alive. So give me one more shot. I'll give it all I've got Let me open my eyes to the new sunrise, I pray Back into y'all, talk with a southern accent. Don't forget, hour two today, we've got our fishing forecast coming your way. Craig Faulkner gets you ready for the lake and for the hunting grounds of the southeast. And that'll be a lot of great information shared in hour two of today's y'all show let's look at what's going on news wise across the region and sadly we have to report on five dead and a armed government gunman there after a standoff happened in winston-salem north carolina the gunman killed himself two deputies and his mother and a stepfather had a standoff for 13 hours and this happened in watauga county north carolina watauga county sheriff lynn hageman said that george wyatt ligon age 58 his wife michelle age 61 were killed and a shooting suspect isaac alton barnes a 32 year old man died at the scene barnes was michelle ligon's son and the man's stepson reporters said that the family members had expressed worries about the large number of weapons in barnes's possession but again out of the Winston-Salem, North Carolina area. This heavily armed gunman is among five dead in a home standoff, and this took place Thursday in Watauga County, North Carolina. Just a an ugly situation coming from that state. This man killing his mother, stepfather, and then two deputies killed in this mass shooting. Yes, uh, just, just our hearts. We told you about how the deputies were responding. We said that, I think, on Thursday's show, deputies were responding to a welfare check at this home in Boone, North Carolina, after the homeowner and his family did not go to work or respond to phone calls. Then deputies entered the residence after discovering all the vehicles belonging to the residence were on the property, and a standoff began. And along the way, a canine deputy for Watauga County, North Carolina, Logan Fox, was shot and died at the scene. And then later, Chris Ward died from gunshot wounds after he was taken to Johnson City, Tennessee's medical center. Two sheriff's offices officials killed in North Carolina and three others dead after this horrible incident this week. Our thoughts certainly there in western North Carolina. Now, here at the Y'all Show, we fancy ourselves as pretty good journalists. 
we think we do a pretty good job, but we're not doing quite the job that those in Atlanta are doing in the field of journalism. How about this story coming from Atlanta? As a local TV news crew spotted an Arizona murder suspect near the Atlanta airport, then flagged down police, ended up the man was taken back into custody and is in jail. But, yeah, the reporter and photojournalist for WSB Television in Atlanta said that they saw a man named Carlos Strover, a 20-year-old, as they were driving down a road near the Hartsfield-Jackson-Atlanta International Airport. And this was at nighttime, too. This was around 11.15 at night. Pretty good eyes by this reporter and the photojournalist. Matt Johnson was the reporter and photojournalist Joe Booker were in their live truck when Strover ran by and into some bushes. Johnson said police were nearby, so they flagged them down. And then the officer and the the filming started as the suspect was arrested. I guess they got all this on camera. And Strover was wanted for murder, attempted murder, and aggravated assault, not in Atlanta, but in Arizona. He was arrested by U.S. Marshals, in the Atlanta area on April 12th on other charges, but was already wanted in Arizona. And he had gotten away from two Maricopa County deputies while they were dropping off a rental car at the airport in Atlanta earlier that day. So I guess that's why he was there in the Atlanta airport. He didn't get too far away from the airport, which, by the way, I've, like many of you, flown in and out of Atlanta before, but I'd never actually gone to the airport as a either a customer and or picking up somebody until a couple of years ago. And it is incredible how big that place is. If you ever have to go pick up somebody, it, it, it'll take you it'll take you a while to get it figured out. They've got the multiple terminals and more. But, yeah, this guy had gotten away from deputies there at the airport, but he hadn't gotten too far. Therefore, the TV news crew saw him and re- flagged down the authorities, and he's now, I guess, headed back to Arizona but a great job there by this crew of reporters and, and journalists, photojournalists from the, the TV station there in Atlanta. They deserve a tip. They deserve one of the, the uh, crime crime watchers, whatever that's called. They need to get them a, a nice hefty reward for their great effort. Here's a name that you might be familiar with from the TV show 19 Kids and Counting, Josh Duggar. Duggar has been arrested by federal agents in Arkansas, arrested on Thursday, and no details about the circumstances of the arrest have been released, but marshals detained Duggar and placed him in federal custody. Now, this is not local. This is federal custody at the Washington County, Arkansas Detention Center. That's in northwest Arkansas. No bail set. The FBI had no immediate comment when reached by one of the entertainment outlets that covers this kind of stuff. But, yes, um, Neither Duggar nor his wife, Anna, who recently announced she's pregnant with their seventh child, have commented on the arrest. But this is federal stuff that this guy's in charge with. I guess 19 kids in counting might uh, might be minus one kid for a while if this guy stays in jail. All right. On Thursday, President Biden made his way to the Atlanta area as he came south to sell his economic plan in the Peach State. And in that announcement there in the Duluth area, President Biden calls for the rich to pay more. So if you're rich, you better hold on to your money. You might want to go hide it because Joe Biden is coming after it. The president took his pitch to Georgia for a $4 trillion 
spending rebuild to the nation's aged infrastructure and also Biden hopes to expand the federal social safety net choosing a new political background to make his case this being Georgia which went from Democrat or rather from Republican to Democrat in this last election a state Georgia by the way that he won according to his side by fewer than 12,000 votes but Biden there in Duluth outside of Atlanta said we need to invest in things our families care about and need the most Joe Biden wanting to come after people with money and give it to the people who don't have money I guess that would be kind of a noble thing don't you think after the or during the trip to Atlanta and to the Duluth area into the state of Georgia Biden and his wife Jill also made their way to Plains Georgia where they visited with former President Jimmy Carter, and his wife, Rosalind. As Carter, of course, served in the late 70s and ended up being defeated by Ronald Reagan in 1980. But Joe Biden back in the South on Thursday and getting the folks in Duluth, Georgia, prepped on what his plan is going forward. He wants to take from the rich and maybe, I say maybe, give to the poor. Sometimes when the taxes are collected you just never really know where that money really goes do you and that appears to be the case from thursday now one thing you might not have seen joe biden during his time in duluth (laughs) he spent about 30 seconds there on stage looking for his darn mask as he was wrapping up his outdoor rally in georgia on thursday the fully vaccinated president spending nearly half a minute searching for his mask when he was getting ready to exit stage left. And as he was speaking at this drive-in rally, he stayed behind the lectern as the music blared through his uh, binder on the hunt for his face covering. He was, I guess he was looking for the, the face covering he thought was in his binder. Turns out it was in his pocket the whole time. And, uh, yeah, he said into the microphone, I'm looking for my mask. I'm in trouble. And then ultimately – he got it out of his pocket and everything as well. But, yeah, President Biden, uh, a, lot of, a lot of you. Look, I had something bizarre happen to me. I had a mask that I had custom made. Now, it was a mask that, yeah, the, the place that made it could have made a mask for other people, but very doubtful, at least not in the area that I'm in. I don't think anybody else would be sporting the mask that I had ordered from this online type deal. And I was in a fast food restaurant the other day eating and i saw a lady who was working at the fast food restaurant wearing i call it my mask it had to have been my mask because this thing was custom made it wasn't like walmart had it on sale and she was wearing the mask and i went up to her and i said oh where did you get your mask and she said oh somebody gave it to her and i said oh yeah well it's a great mask because it's and i mentioned what was written on it and she acted like she had no clue what i was talking about what was right there on her face i think she just liked the look of it and she took it over but yeah it had to have been my mask and i don't know how i could have lost it i guess when we start throwing these things in our pocket when we sit down to eat perhaps that's how it fell out of my pocket perhaps maybe she did go online and specifically order this thing i seriously doubt it Or, I think the real thing, you know I'm not going to blame myself for losing my pretty mask. I think there's a chance that I let someone pretty close to me use it, and I think they probably had another mask in their pocket too, and they just kind of put 
their other mask on when it got time to go, and that one fell out. That's just my speculation. But, yeah, it's pretty weird to see somebody else wearing your mask when you're out at a fast food restaurant. More political news. The U.S. Senate has confirmed Joe Manchin's wife, Gail Manchin, to a $163,000 a year federal post as her appointment was confirmed by unanimous consent on Thursday. The confirmed educator is the wife of the Democratic senator from the Mountain State, and she's going to serve as federal co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission. So as a co-chair there at the Appalachian Regional Commission, you get $163,000, and your husband is a former West Virginia governor and now the U.S. senator. Yeah, I think they're doing pretty good financial-wise in the Manchin household, but she was confirmed there by the Senate on Thursday in Washington, D.C., and, of course, Manchin known as a moderate Democrat. There's even been some talk this week of, is he actually going to switch over and become a Republican? I don't see that happening. But uh, his wife is switching from being poor to being rich with this annual salary of $163,000. Although living in the D.C. area, one sixty-three might even be minimum wage there in that area. That is, I think, the most expensive area of the country to live in. From what I understand, the U.S. Senate was busy on Thursday. They also confirmed the former Florida senator and former astronaut Bill Nelson to be the head of NASA. A unanimous vote here as Nelson was President Biden's choice to lead NASA. And that was a consensus roll call vote on Thursday. But a longtime senator, he was defeated in his election a few years ago by Rick Scott. And now Nelson will become NASA's 14th administrator, succeeding a former, another former member of Congress, Jim Bridenstein, a Republican from Oklahoma. Nelson currently serves on the NASA Advisory Council. So, yeah, how about that? The guy with the, uh, the, the history of being a senator from Florida now going to be the head of NASA as Bill Nelson moves on to a new role in our nation's capital. More stories. This comes to us, a sad story out of New Orleans. And authorities have no idea how an Alabama native, a grandmother, ended up dying after being punched while visiting the French Quarter. What a terrible story coming to us. A 23-year-old man in New Orleans, Jeremiah Mark, has been arrested on charges of manslaughter, which under Louisiana law is an unintentional yet unjustifiable killing being held on a $100,000 bond. And this this scene here of this grandmother again being killed while just walking down the street as Jane Johnson Street, 61 years old, died after this lady was walking down in the French Quarter, by the way. This was, this was a very touristy area of New Orleans, walking there last week, and then this man hit her, and she sustained a traumatic brain injury and has died and a memorial service was held Thursday in New Orleans for this Alabama native. And look, we try to be nice to some of our southern cities, but New Orleans does have a reputation of of having violence. And evidently, according to police, this woman, uh, Miss Miss Jane Johnson Street, according to police, she got into an argument with 
the man in the 100 block of Royal Street at 7.45 in the evening, and then the man punched the woman in the face, causing her to fall backward and hit her head on the concrete. She was taken to University Medical Center in New Orleans, where she died two days later. But a sad story there of this grandmother being killed in New Orleans. A man in Mississippi has pleaded guilty to shooting a bald eagle. You don't want to do that. The 69-year-old man from Aberdeen, Mississippi, has pleaded guilty to a misdemeanor charge of shooting this protected bald eagle. Timothy Lee Childers, 69 years old, Aberdeen, Mississippi, entered the guilty plea in Oxford in federal court on Wednesday. Childers shot and killed the eagle on his property in Monroe County, Mississippi, back on September 11th of 2020. U.S. District or U.S. Magistrate Judge David Sanders put Childers on probation for one year, ordered him to pay $3,500 in restitution to the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers and a fine of $3,500. So he's paying $7,000 and is on probation for a year. But it looks like he won't be going to jail for killing this bald eagle there in Monroe County, Mississippi, which I didn't know had lots of bald eagles around. Beautiful creatures here in the South, but we got to got to be careful childers also had to forfeit the gun and scope used to shoot the bald eagle and these go to the mississippi department of wildlife fisheries and parks yet don't be dumb and trust me there's no reason to shoot a bald eagle as a u.s fish and wildlife special agent in charge of that stephen clark said that in this case which involved the deliberate and senseless shooting of a bald eagle that was flying near a residence we are pleased that justice has been served when you're out with a gun in the south and you see a giant bird with a white head, I would probably assume that's going to be a, wild, a, a bald eagle, our national symbol, and they're protected. Now, luckily, in most cases around the south, they're making a great comeback, and that's something we should be proud of. But you don't need to shoot a bald eagle, y'all. And if you do, like Mr. Childers here, you're going to be lucky to be getting off with a $7,000 fine, penalties, however you want to describe it, and probation. How about a law in North Carolina? The North Carolina adultery law remains on the books after repeal efforts have failed. North Carolina is one of only a handful of states in the land that have adultery laws. They need to have a national adultery law passed, in my opinion. Yeah, the lawmakers in Raleigh killed a bill this week that would have repealed a more than century-old law that allows people to sue their spouse's lover for alienation of affection. Members of the House Judiciary Committee split 4-4 Wednesday on whether to advance the bill, with some of those in favor of keeping it, arguing its repeal would be legalizing adultery. North Carolina, again, one of a handful of states that have this law in place. A TV station in Raleigh said that this was started in the 1700s in Great Britain when women were still treated as property of their husbands. I think now it's reverse. Men are property of their, or their of their wives. I think. I think I'm right on that. But yeah, how about that law still in place in North Carolina? I think it's a good law. I mean, look, a lot of times if you're a a, a nice, nice, gentle spouse, and your other half does terrible things and 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 uh, goes off with somebody else, I don't think it's fair that you just have to say, okay, fifty fifty. See you later. I think there needs to be a real a real penalty maybe tarring and feathering is not too off here i know in the military the ucmj there are a lot more harsher penalties 
for adultery in the military. So uh, North Carolina is keeping that in place. Now to Texas, an alligator and a cow delayed traffic in that city, turning a commute into a zoo. Now, it's a zoo already for a lot of people driving around Houston, Texas, but this traffic delay Wednesday during separate incidents in which the animals took themselves for a spin on Houston area roadways, and I've seen the video there of both an alligator and this cow in Houston, Texas, not too far apart from each other either. Yeah, yeah, just a, a scary thing. Be careful when you're driving around Houston, Texas. And lastly here, how about this story coming from the Commonwealth of Virginia? Girl Scout cookies now being delivered by via drone. Town of Christianburg, Virginia has been testing ground for commercial delivery drones operated by Wing, a subsidiary of Google's corporate parent Alphabet. And some people are getting their Girl Scout cookies delivered via a drone. The company is adding the iconic box cookies to the more mundane drugstore options they've been delivering around. And now you can get your Girl Scout cookies delivered in Virginia this way. Which brought me to this as we wrap up our headlines across the southeast. Did you know the connection between the Girl Scouts and Virginia? I don't know if it's still the case, but for a long, long time, if you look closely on your Girl Scout cookie box, the cookies were made by a place called Interbake in Richmond, Virginia. Now, that might not have been the only place that made them, but they made a lot of Girl Scout cookies, and I think they still do. Well, the building that Interbake Cookies had there in the capital of Virginia is now turned into the, the, the longtime building that they used to make cookies has been turned into an upscale apartment-slash-condo building in Richmond. And you can go to the website cookiefactorylofts.com and learn more about the history of the old Interbake cookie place, which at one time was called the Southern Biscuit Company, known formally as Southern Biscuit Works. But they made lots of stuff there uh, in Richmond, Virginia. I would have loved to have worked at a cookie store at one time. Over time, development and mergers led to a name change to Interbake Foods. During the 1980s, Interbake Foods was the largest producer of chocolate ice cream sandwich wafers. Ooh, my favorite. And by some reports, generated 640,000 cookies an hour there. That was just among many of the things made there in Richmond at this cookie place. Interbake Foods, which I don't know what's happened to them in recent years, but that is, for many of us, a great memory of childhood, eating Girl Scout cookies and having a few ice cream sandwiches along the way. When we come back on the Y'all Show, we've got a quick clip from earlier this week. It's I-C-Y-M-I. In case y'all missed it, we'll go back to Tuesday and hear a portion of our conversation with Kobe Bennett of Y'all.com. That is coming up next on Y'all. Y'all talking everything Southern with news and music and sports and politics and fashion and food and oh so much more. And y'all.com has all of that stuff covered and a whole lot more. 
And on Tuesday, Kobe Bennett of Y'all was in here on the Y'all Show talking about what's up at the homepage of the South. And now as part of our ICYMI, in case y'all missed it, we're going to rewind to our Tuesday conversation with Kobe Bennett and let him talk about what's up at y'all.com. Enjoy this ICYMI right now, courtesy of Kobe Bennett on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. We're talking about SpaceX. You know, they launched from Florida uh, April 23rd. Uh Early on April twenty third, yeah, like early, five early in the morning, morning like five in the morning, yeah. uh, five forty nine, and uh, it's the Crew Endeavor, and they're it's they're making their next trip to the International Space Station for a six month uh, periodical up there, and uh, this will be the first time they've reused one of their rockets, uh, or the first time they've reused this specific rocket, uh, the Endeavor, uh, to make this flight. So you know, SpaceX they've made it their goal to be able to actually reuse these space capsules these spacecraft what blew up the other week something blew up was that spacex some Maybe. some kind of it didn't obviously have any human beings involved with it but some some kind of malfunction happened a few weeks ago and and then we find out this actually had astronauts on it heading up to the space station that successfully launched yeah yeah i'm looking at it right now so they apparently had a test flight explosion uh um about a month ago yeah or something like that. yeah March 30th, it looks like. So. Yeah. All right, Kobe, that's a good story worth checking out. And Elon Musk continuing to amaze us with some of the inventions and such that he's got going on. That's one story. And then you also had posted at y'all.com the sad story about the ship that went down in Louisiana the other week, but more importantly, the recovery effort and the Cajun Navy in its involvement. So, yeah, you know, off the coast of Louisiana – a lift boat went uh, capsized, and mm-hmm. a, a lift boat was called the Seacore Power, and 19 crew members were aboard, and thus far, six have been rescued, and six have been uh, bodies have been discovered of the deceased. And, and I assume everybody's perished at sea, those that they didn't find. Well, that, that's the thing, is they're still searching for people for, for closure, as well as just, you know, the just to be sure, you know? Yeah. And so joining in that rescue effort is the United Cajun Navy, which is this nonprofit organization that's all about providing disaster relief, you know, like during – after Louisiana has been hit like a brunt of disaster, you know, Katrina and all that. Mm-hmm. They help with all that. And uh, the, it's mainly to raise awareness because uh, they need the fund, their uh, – the, the pay for all the fuel for their – for their boats and stuff, and aiding them it, right now is Ronnie Adams from the hit show uh, Swamp People on the History mm-hmm. Channel, and uh, and he's instructed people if even if they're deceased, we just want to find their bodies. That's all we're asking for. Uh, he said on a Facebook video. Kobe Bennett, and that was from Tuesday. If you want to go back and hear that in its entirety, you can do that at y'all.com and you can get all of the shows that we do here at y'all.com all right kobe we're not done with him when we come back after this quick timeout, we're going to get a southern accent from kobe on sports as our first hour of y'all concludes stay tuned more of the show about the south's coming up southern accent here's a southern sports update from y'all.com i'm kobe bennett 
Major League Baseball has an illegal substance issue on its hands. Quite literally, ball doctoring has become rampant in the league with the majority of pitchers using some sort of substance in order to improve the spin and therefore movement of the ball. Whether it be pine tar or sunscreen, so-called grip enhancers have been banned since the 1920s spitball. However, enforcement of the rule has been extremely light, as shown by Gaylord Perry, who freely admitted to it in his 1974 autobiography, Me and the Spitter, and yet continued to play consequence-free to 1983, even being inducted into the Baseball Hall of Fame in 91. Now the MLB is taking cautious steps in combating the shady practices by adding new tech to their arsenal that will analyze the spin of the ball for any changes that banned substances might cause. Hopefully, these advances will help in straightening the cheating curve in America's greatest pastime. Sports headlines and more at y'all.com. All righty, Kobe Bennett. Man, busy here as we've been wrapping up this first hour. We got another hour of y'all coming up after this break. A tribute to Colonel Bruce Hampton and our fishing forecast from Craig Faulkner is coming up here on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. You don't want to miss it. It's hour two of y'all. We're getting our weekend going. She couldn't keep from crying when she told me goodbye. But I knew the Lord, it was breaking her heart. And she was breaking mine. So for the sake of her feelings and the sake of my pride, I told her not to worry about me. So I'm sitting here soaking up the neon lights. Misery looking for some company And tonight I'm looking for a party crowd Slamming it back And laughing out loud with the smoke so thick The blues can't hang around With the jukebox jumping like I just don't care If they're dancing over here Or fighting over there I'm making the rounds Looking for yeah, we're the show covering everything Southern. John Rawl back in with you as we get the second hour going. We're getting the party ready. Thanks to David Lee Murphy. And if you want to be a part of y'all, you can join us at 803-816-1170. This is what we call on Fridays our Friday Free for Y'all. And it's a fun little segment of music and a little music history and more and we're going to let you know all about a knoxville born atlanta raised legend after david lee murphy finishes his thing here and it's just all about the south that's what we do we also have coming up in a few minutes craig faulkner with the fish and forecast but yeah let's hear some more of that party crowd y'all jumping like it just don't care if they're dancing over All right, everybody sing along. Night, I'm looking for a party crowd. Slamming them back and laughing out loud with the smoke so thick. The blues can't hang around. 
Oh, a little louder. With a jukebox jumping like it just don't care if they're dancing over here or fighting over there. I'm making the rounds looking for a party crowd. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you sing good or bad like me. Let's hear it. Party crowd slamming them back and laughing out loud where the smoke's so thick the blues can't hang around. Get your party ready, man. The Kentucky Derby Saturday. Oh, what a party. Maybe the best party of the springtime in Louisville at the Churchill Downs facility. Yeah, thank you. Getting us ready for the weekend in a happy way. Thanks to David Lee Murphy. We are talk with a southern accent. Our fishing forecast is coming up. But before we do that as part of our Friday Free for Y'all We are going to take you to Atlanta, Georgia, and let you know about Colonel Bruce Hampton. On this day in 1947, this Atlanta and Southern music legend was born. He was born April 30th, 1947 in Knoxville, Tennessee, of all places. And he ended up becoming, as a youngster, a member of the Hampton Grease Band as Bruce Hampton helped record the 1971 album Music to Eat. According to legend, this was the second worst-selling album in Columbia Records history and the worst being a yoga record. So this guy may not have been known for his incredible sales, but he was a Atlanta legend, and he grew up most of his life in Atlanta, lived in the Atlanta area. I think when he died, he was living in Stone Mountain, Georgia. But in the 1960s, he was a founding member of the avant-garde Hampton Grease Band And then he adopted the moniker Colonel Hampton B. Coles. And then Colonel Bruce Hampton retired, sometimes playing a sort of dwarf guitar called a Chazoid. And then he formed a lot of bands in the Atlanta area. Some of those bands included the Late Bronze Age, the Aquarium Rescue Unit, the Fiji Mariners, the Code Talkers, the Quark Alliance, and Madrid Express. Bruce Hampton. And he was known as one of the pioneers of jam band. Now, this guy, again, was born in 1947, and so when you put him up with the widespread panics of the world, he was a a generation ahead of those guys and other music makers that do that kind of deal, but a very popular guy, and again, he helped form the Fiji Mariners, which was a progressive rock-jazz duo back in the 1990s, but very active. I remember seeing his name show up on flyers and more across the southeast, at one time, the governor of Georgia, Nathan Dill, presented Hampton with the Governor's Award in the Arts and Humanities, and he even made a cameo in a music video for rap group Run the Jewels for the song Blockbuster Night Part 1. He even appeared in movies and TV shows and more, as Colonel Bruce Hampton was the voice of Warren, the talking potted shrub in the 1998 episode of Warren of the TV show Space ghost coast to coast he also played morris a songwriting band member in billy bob thornton's movie sling blade yeah go back and watch sling blade and look for a band manager named morris that was colonel bruce hampton he also starred in the movie outside out that was a mike gordon 2001 film so, again, today would be Colonel Bruce Hampton's 70th birthday, or, or rather, 74th birthday. Back on May 1st, 2017, a day after his 70th birthday, technically, 
they had a big deal at the Fox Theater, the historic Fox Theater on Peachtree in Atlanta, to celebrate Colonel Bruce Hampton's 70th birthday. The event was known as Hampton 70, a celebration of Colonel Bruce Hampton. All-star concert there at the Fox Theater. And this is in 2017, four years ago. You had members of Widespread Panic there, John Bell, also David Schools, Dwayne Trucks, Jimmy Herring. You had blues guitarist Tinsley Ellis, a member of REM. Peter Buck came to the Fox for this celebration. And a lot of heavy hitters in the kind of jam band arena. You had Fish's John, John Fisherman was there as well. A lot of fun. It was a four-hour 70th birthday party for that. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton was supposed to be there. He had to cancel because of illness at the last minute. But it was just a, a really incredible 70th birthday bash 2017, four years ago, for Colonel Bruce Hampton. Sadly, as this thing was winding down, Gustav Valentine Berglund III, commonly known as Colonel Bruce Hampton, actually collapsed and died at his own birthday party. He essentially played at his own funeral at Atlanta's Fox Theater back in 2017. So, And that was a day after his 70th birthday. And he ended up laying face down. He collapsed, laid down at somebody's feet. People thought he was joking and they continued to play on there and the band played for several minutes before he ended up being taken off stage he died shortly thereafter at emory university nearby in atlanta but he died at his own birthday party colonel bruce hampton and to give you a little taste of bruce hampton music here on the y'all show we thought we would play a song called pharaoh's kitchen from this guy a really unique character of the southeast colonel bruce hampton as we celebrate his will be his 74th birthday here on the Y'all Show. Some jam bam music for him. I've been down, boy, in the Pharaoh's kitchen. I've been cooking, and I ain't been bitching. I've been down in the Pharaoh's kitchen.
All right, y'all, Colonel Bruce Hampton on this, what would have been his 74th birthday, a jam band legend and actor. Go watch him in Sling Blade next time you get a chance. And died May 1st of 2017 at his 70th birthday party. He died playing at his own funeral. Man. But as some people say, he probably wouldn't have had it any other way. Colonel Bruce Hampton here and Pharaoh's Kitchen on the Y'all Show. We got another legend coming up after the break, not from the jam band arena, but we've got guy from the outdoors arena lined up and coming at you, Craig Faulkner, and our fishing forecast getting you ready for the weekend. It's coming up next on Y'all Talk with a Southern Accent. Take it away, Colonel Bruce Hampton. Faulkner and our fishing forecast for the weekend. Craig, we had you on last week, and I did not give you our legal disclaimer here on the Y'all Show fishing forecast. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. You can't lie. (laughs) I don't want any lies about sizes of fish and racks and all that fun stuff. You better be telling the truth. That's part of the fun of fishing. Lying? Sure, it's part of the game. All right. (laughs) Where are we going to go? It's going to be the first weekend in May this weekend. First weekend in May. I am probably going to get uh, a turkey hunt in again this weekend. Okay. Uh, we had a lot of rain in this area here lately, and I'm afraid the uh, lake that I was planning on going to is going to be muddied up because the runoff for this particular lake uh, picks up a lot of uh, debris and uh, wash off, especially since farmers have broken fields up now. Uh it's going to be muddy probably and it's going to continue rain today so turkey hunting turkey hunting in that in some southern states still goes on in the month of may it does it sure does uh we've got one more week of it here in tennessee okay one more week in tennessee and other states depending on where you're listening to us could be going on or not or not are, are there lots of turkeys these days uh, there are, um, they've kind of been on decline the last couple of years. And, uh, uh, especially in the area I hunt, I've really noticed in the last three years. In fact, I've talked to, uh, area game wardens and, uh, they're blaming the problem on, uh, coyotes, uh, bobcats, mm-hmm. predators. But, uh, I will share this with you cause this has happened to me this week and this was a first I actually wasn't hunting. I was on my way home from work, and uh, 
saw my first albino gobbler ever, and it was beautiful, and it was blown up in a beautiful green I just field. told you, you can't lie when you come <laughs> on to y'all show's fishing forecast. I've got pictures that I'll show you, but uh-huh. it, it won't come over the radio. <laughs> All right, an albino turkey. An albino turkey, and it was a gobbler, and it was blown up. By blown up, I mean had all its feathers spread out, and it was strutting. It was uh, showing out for some females. How about that? That's a wonderful thing of nature right there. Hopefully that thing is going to have a long, prosperous life, and somebody like you doesn't hunt it. Until it comes across the road. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah, that that too. So that's going on. What is the biggest no-nos when you hunt turkeys that can get you in trouble with the game warden? Uh, probably putting bait out. Mm. So Co- people do that illegally? Yeah, corn. Corn? Corn, or actually, uh, uh, what do you call the chopped-up corn like you feed chickens? Uh, not the whole kernel. Deer will eat up the whole kernel of corn, but the uh, chicken feed-type corn, it's just slithers of corn. I can't think of the name of it right now but scratch food i guess is what mm-hmm. you call it uh works better if you're trying to draw turkeys because like i said the whole kernel deer will eat it up not that i've ever baited anything before okay yeah again we can't can't be lying here on the y'all show fishing forecast with craig faulkner if you got a question for craig or maybe you want to tell him in one of your honey holes out there six the way to do that uh anytime that he's in here during the seven days of the week or so you can call us 803-816-1170 as we continue on with our discussion here in the second hour of the y'all show so this weekend maybe a little turkey hunting what do you know about uh fishing across the southeast here this weekend uh before i tell you about this coming up weekend i want to tell you about last week oh of course we can't forget about last week because we talked about wind direction and barometric pressure and fish on fish off okay uh sunday Wind was out of the north, just like it was Saturday. And I went to a local lake just to run my boat and check things out. Hadn't been running in a while. Mm-hmm. And the whole parking lot was full of boats. There wasn't even a place to park. What time? It was 10 o'clock Sunday in the morning, morning, 10 okay. o'clock or so. People should have been in church. Well, maybe they went later <laughs> in the day. <laughs> but like I said, the wind was out of the north. I wasn't really out there to fish. I did carry a couple poles with me. And uh, people were everywhere. I did not see a fish caught, and I was probably out there an hour. Got back to load my boat up, and the whole parking lot was empty. Hmm. Well, those people had probably been there since 7 or 8 o'clock, and needless to say, fish weren't biting. They were gone. And uh, talked to one uh, former professional crappie fisherman, and he had two little dinky crappie, and he was just shaking his head. I said, well, if he can't get them, I certainly don't need to be out there fishing today. So I loaded up and went back home. Now, let's give you bragging points here. What was the direction of the wind? North wind. A north wind last week. Nobody caught anything. And Craig Faulkner's philosophy is wind out of the north. Do not go forth. Okay. And you went forth, but not necessarily to fish. Right, right. I wouldn't have been out there just for fishing. I was checking my boat out. All right. Well, you could do that in a lot of other places too. But all right. So people were your your theory though was absolutely true. That day. oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. And you know, I talked to a number of fishermen. Zero, zero goose egg collar, nothing, nada. Couldn't they not look up wind direction before they go to the lake? They could, but then again, these are people that maybe have 
Sunday was our only chance to go. Uh. And one of the cliches that I didn't share with you last week is, if you don't go, you don't know. <laughs> so, all right, I'm going to put that one on a T-shirt. If you don't know, go, you don't know. Yeah, so, all right. So you went, and not much there for you, but even the professional fishermen had a rough e- day e- of the lake. Exactly, exactly. So what are we looking at this weekend? Well, I mean, it's right now it's prime time crappie season. Is, is it? it? Oh, it's prime time throughout Is there the a time of year you can't catch crappie? It shows my ignorance here. Uh, really, there isn't. But I would say, for me, my shutdown is going to be the month of August. It's typically the hottest, driest, no wind. Uh, a lot of the oxygen is gone out of the water during that time of year, especially if it's not moving water in a river system. Mm-hmm. And it really puts all the fish into a uh, deep lull, They're almost like a summertime hibernation uh, mood. Uh, there can be weather fronts that come in that can turn them on, but uh, year to year, August is normally my sh- shutdown period, uh, probably middle of July through August. Once it cools off a little bit in September, it cranks back up. Is there one month that's the worst? August. You said August? Oh, yeah. Is there one month that's the best? Uh, probably April and May. Oh. So right now, it's, it's as good as it gets right now. How about that? All right, this is the Fishing Forecast. Craig Faulkner in here on today's Y'all Show. So we know this is going to be a good weekend. Maybe the winds will cooperate wherever you're listening to us and you can catch a big fish. You like crappy fishing or crappie fishing. I call them crappy this time of year. What else besides crappy, crappie are really, really out there awaiting someone's hook? Well, really, uh, all game fish right now. All, okay. Bass are, you know, they're on the tear. They're... They're in and out of spawn, and I probably should mention bass fishing more. Uh, I actually— Hey, you should mention bass fishing more on this show. I <laughs> I actually cut my teeth bass fishing as a kid and uh, got on to crappie fishing later on in life when I found out what I really like to eat is crappie. Oh. I'm not much of—I I can eat a small bass and be okay, but to me, nothing's better than fresh crappie. All right, what about the challenge of reeling it in as the— crappy crappy a little bit tougher or? no no it's a lot easier and uh, it is and they're easier to catch than a number of bass too uh bass is more challenging fishing uh, i would say especially if you're going for uh large bass uh good size ones uh, people like the trophy bass well trophy bass is fine to catch but uh you basically just throw it back i've always been uh of the thought that if I'm going out hunting or fishing, I'm going to eat whatever I catch or kill. Hmm. And uh, Craig, we've got the Kentucky Derby here this weekend, and I don't normally talk about horses when we go talking about hunting and fishing and things like that. But it does bring up a point. I've been on a field trial before where you use a horse. Have you used horses much in your outdoor expeditions through the years? Uh, I have not. Uh, I used to ride horses when I was young quite mm-hmm. a bit. Uh, my brother uh, used to run in field trials quite a bit, so he kept uh, horses on our farm, and uh, he, he raised uh, short hair pointers, bird dogs, and he would field trials. And I'm assuming you were talking about Grand Junction. When yeah, I've been, I've been on a horse for over 20 miles 
<laughs> and, uh, and and it was not a fun experience. And I wasn't hunting; I was just observing. Exactly. So I just since horses, this might be the one weekend of the year horses kind of get a lot of attention here in the southeast, thanks to Churchill Downs. I just wanted to throw out there and make you maybe jar a memory of using horses. Not uh, not want to leave those guys out. Certainly don't want to hunt them either. But a, a wonderful thing. Uh, they do have, of course, wild horses out west. I'm not aware of any wild horses other than some of the barrier islands have them here in the southeast. Horses running wild. But uh, should be a wild weekend nonetheless here. Craig Faulkner, our fishing forecast. Anything else we need to know about before we let you get out of here and put your camo on? Uh, one thing I wanted to mention today uh, is depending on where you're fishing, uh, what part of the south, uh, what river or lake, um, especially if you're a novice, uh, you can gain a lot of information by being observant of what people are doing because there are so many different uh, methods of fishing on different reservoirs mm-hmm. throughout the south. Uh, you've got what's called pulling, pulling, which is basically a boat positioned sideways in the water that goes with the wind drift. You've got any number of poles out, and you're basically letting the wind determine where your boat goes. Now, you got to sit up ahead of time with some planning to know the areas the fish are and what wind direction to fish on any particular day. And that's done a lot at Pickwick. Uh, North Mississippi um, do a lot of jig cork fishing. Sardis, Enid. Jig cork? Cork, as in cork. a bobber. Okay. And there's so many little intricacies that you can pick up along the way. I, I remember years ago when I was just getting into crappie fishing, I was fishing a lot of the North Mississippi lakes, and uh, I did a lot of bank fishing back in the day and tail races too especially in the winter. What is a tail race? That's below a dam or the water comes out of the dam. That's what called a tail race. Okay. You got you got a big dam, you got a lake, and you got to release the This is a family water. show. Watch what you say here. <laughs> a <laughs> land <laughs> mass to stop water. Okay. Yeah, anyway. So, so they would blow, so, so blow. in other words, I'll use Sardis Lake, for example. Oh, yeah? The Tallahatchie River makes Sardis Lake. Mm-hmm. Actually, the dam makes Sardis Lake. But the Tallahatchie River keeps Sardis Lake full. Well, below the dam at Sardis, the Tallahatchie River still got to go somewhere, so water is released through the dam mm-hmm. and turn, goes back to the Tallahatchie River. That's called a tail race. Okay. You know, and it's usually a good place for fish, too. I mean, but, this is there all the time? Always, always. Okay, all right. Sometimes it's releasing more water than other right, and And that's a Corps of Engineer Lake You're right. that uh, people can go. they got a great campground there at oh, Sardis yeah. Lake. And neat place. Neat place there. But anyway, getting to my point. Panola County, yes, sir. Some of the little intricacies of fishing. Uh, this, like I said, was years ago, and I thought I pretty much knew quite a bit about fishing. I just started crappie fishing. I was fishing below Sardis, fishing next to some people lined up down the bank. And everybody there is just riddling in fish, riddling in fish. I just keep on fishing, keep on fishing. I'm looking at what they're doing. And I'm, I've got my cork on, below my cork, about three feet. I've got my jig. I'm using the same color as this guy and that guy and this other guy. They're catching fish. I'm not catching anything. <laughs> Finally, 
I kind of made a conversation with this guy next to me. He said, man, what are y'all doing that I'm not doing? He said, I thought you'd never ask. And I said, what is it? He said, you've got a round bobber on there, a round cork. Uh-huh. I said, well, what's the deal? He said, you've got to have an oval-shaped cork. And what the deal was, the fish were biting so light, and they were coming up. They were pushing the other people's court on its side. My court was round, so it wasn't going to either side. They were biting that light. And I'll never forget that lesson. And um, you had to watch it so close. Like I said, the fish weren't biting and swimming off and going under like mm-hmm. you'd think they would do. They were coming up and pushing the cork up. But when they pushed my cork, it didn't do anything because it was round. But just little things like that yeah. that you can learn. And This uh, this segment, which we brought on here to learn and have fun with, it's a little bit more scientific than I thought it would be. Right? <laughs> you got to be smart to fish. you got to have patience and some smarts. you got to be observant. And that, too. Of what the locals are doing. Yeah, you can cheat. Which is, again, what we started out here today, <laughs> talking about telling the truth here. Craig Faulkner, our fishing forecast here on today's Y'all Show. Have a great weekend at the lake and hunting them turkeys, too. More of the Y'all Show continues after this break. We've got a quick look at headlines across the south. Back into y'all as we continue on with this second hour. A reminder, we've got a look at movies in the next segment. We've got a bunch of films in theaters this weekend. So get ready for maybe a throwback to uh, 2019. Remember when we went to the movies and had popcorn and spent about $100 on food and watching a movie? Well, you could do that again in a lot of places. And we've got a pretty good array of movies Hitting theaters this weekend. I'll tell you about it in the next segment. Also, Hour 3, don't forget, Art Cruz will be in here on the show that's all about the South with your host, John Raw. Looking back at headlines across the Southeast, scanning the headlines. And in Boone, North Carolina this week, a man killed his mother, stepfather, and two Watauga County, North Carolina sheriff's deputies in this mass shooting. One officer killed on the scene. Another officer ended up dying of his injuries in Johnson City, Tennessee. We remember the lives of Watauga County Sheriff's Office Deputy Logan Fox, who died at the scene, and Watauga, North Carolina Sheriff's Deputy Chris Ward, who died from his gunshot wounds after being taken to the medical center in Johnson City, Tennessee. Authorities say this man killed his mother, stepfather, and these two deputies after after an hours-long standoff outside of Boone, North Carolina, a third officer was also shot, but evidently was not life-threatening, the injuries there. But, yes, this 32-year-old person, Isaac Alton Barnes, suspected of killing 
these multiple people's Barnes, who was the son and stepson of two of the victims, also evidently died at the scene as a result of gunshot wounds to himself. But a mass shooting in North Carolina, an ugly scene there. An Atlanta television crew is being credited with helping catch an Arizona murder suspect. How about this? They were at the Atlanta airport doing a live shot when this attempted murder suspect who had escaped people at the Atlanta airport, I think he was being transported back to Arizona, and he escaped from two Maricopa County deputies. Sheriff Joe needs to get on to these two deputies, if you know who I'm talking about. Yes, uh, and this guy escaped from the airport. So Atlanta TV reporter Matt Johnson and his photojournalist were outside the airport working for WSB television and on Wednesday or Thursday, it was Thursday night actually when this happened late, uh, they ended up doing a, a live shot. And when a guy came running by and ran into some bushes, and these two WSB TV reporter and photojournalist flagged down a nearby police officer and started filming. And it turned out to be this guy that had been escaping the authorities as they were trying to get him back to Arizona, a guy who was attempted uh, for wanted for murder and attempted murder and aggravated assault in Arizona. So good news there that they got this guy back as police had been searching for Mr. Strover, the guy wanted here, Carlos Strover, a 20-year-old, and they caught him thanks to the hard and diligent work of some journalists for WSB Television in Atlanta. Joe Biden speaking of Georgia. He was in Georgia on Thursday. He gave a big, uh, I guess, 21st century coronavirus type rally, if you will. His rally is not quite what we saw with the 45th president, but he was there in Duluth, Georgia Thursday night. And he talked about how the nation's age infrastructure was desperate, needed to be fixed. And also how he intends to vastly expand the federal social safety net as President Biden, who won Georgia by 12,000 votes, had this outdoor rally in the Atlanta suburb of Georgia. This trip to Georgia, part of an effort to gain momentum for the massive and expensive agenda that the president has articulated during his first 100 days in office. The first 100 days, by the way, the 100th day was indeed Thursday, and he chose to go to this longtime Republican stronghold of Georgia to have a rally in Duluth. While in Georgia, he also snuck down to Plains, Georgia, where he visited with President Jimmy Carter and his wife, Rosalind. Jimmy Carter, I think, 96 years young, Rosalind, 93. And they welcomed President Joe and wife Jill to Plains, Georgia, to hang out with them for a few hours as the Carters were not able to go to Washington back in January for Biden's inauguration. Also from Capitol Hill, the former senator from the state of Florida, Bill Nelson, has been named head of NASA. Nelson, a former NASA astronaut before going into politics. And now the Senate has confirmed this longtime Florida senator to be the head of NASA. He once flew on the space shuttle, Senator Nelson did, and now NASA Administrator Nelson. Lawmakers agreed to President Joe Biden's choice to lead the space agency by a consensus late on Thursday. Did this without a Roll call vote. Nelson said in a statement, I am honored by the president's nomination and the Senate vote. I will try to merit that trust onward and upward from former Senator Nelson of Florida, who will become NASA's 14th administrator 
and his new role there leading that agency. An agency that has many times had Southerners atop of it. I can think of one here in the last decade, Charles Bolden, South Carolinian, Columbia SC native, and a former space shuttle astronaut himself, was a NASA administrator in the last decade. Senator Joe Manchin, he's not in the news, but his wife Gail's in the news as she was also up before a Senate committee on Thursday. And the wife of Senator Joe Manchin was chosen to be in a federal position at the rate of $163,000 a year. She was confirmed by unanimous consent. And Gail Manchin will serve as a federal co-chair of the Appalachian Regional Commission. And that is a job that she will have now. The Appalachian Regional Commission is a federal-state partnership to boost economic development across 13 states, and that stretches from Georgia all the way to New York State. Prior to taking on this new role, Gail Manchin served as West Virginia's Secretary of Education from 2017 to 2018 after Joe Manchin had gone on to be the U.S. Senator for the Mountain State. And then she was fired for publicly criticizing legislation that would have eliminated the state's Office of Education and the Arts. She got fired. Jim Justice, I guess he and his uh, folks there in Charleston weren't very uh, judicial in their way of coming after the senator's wife. And she also has served as president of West Virginia's Board of Education from 2013 to 2014 and as the state's first lady when Joe Manchin was governor of West Virginia back 2005 to 2010. So a new role there for Joe Manchin's boss, if you will. How about this story coming to us from Maryland? Hey, there's going to be a war between the states between Maryland and Pennsylvania because right now, Pennsylvania residents, Tim November, uh, Pennsylvania residents owe Maryland, the state, or Commonwealth, I don't know which one it is, they owe Maryland $20 million in tolls And Maryland lawmakers want toll reciprocity to go into place between these two border states. Dozens of state lawmakers in Maryland signed their names to a letter asking a group of Maryland's top leaders, including the governor, to force the Maryland Transportation Authority to enter into a toll reciprocity agreement with the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, saying it's a common-sense approach. Pennsylvania holds $20 million worth of debt in tolls to the state of Maryland, and it's taken its <clears throat> toll upon Maryland, and they don't like it. Maryland, an expensive southern state, and I know it's a border state, expensive place for some folks in the south to call home. A Mississippi man has pleaded guilty to shooting a protected bald eagle, the 69-year-old man from Monroe County, Ended up paying about $7,000 in fines and will be on probation, but will not have to go off to jail, it appears. Don't shoot a bald eagle. That's the story there. North Carolina, an adultery law remains on the books after an effort to repeal this very old law failed. North Carolina is one of only a couple of states in the country that has this adultery law. Members of the State House Judiciary Committee in Raleigh split 4-4 this week on whether to advance the bill, which would eliminate this bill that evidently would repeal what would be legalizing adultery, according to the arguments there in Raleigh. As lawmakers killing this bill and this more than century old law that allows people to sue their spouse's lover 
for alienation of affection. So you're not suing your spouse. You're suing your spouse's lover according to what's on the books right now in North Carolina. So be careful. Don't commit adultery in North Carolina. You could be, if you're the uh, lover boy or lover girl, you could be paying your your lover's uh, lover, (laughs) to put it lightly. Traffic snarl in Houston, Texas this week. A cow and an alligator both causing traffic delays on Wednesday during separate incidents in which the animals took themselves for a spin on the roadways of the Bayou City. Yeah, it's one thing to have a gator right there in the marsh in Houston, but to get out on the roadway and then a cow too. A pretty busy time there in Houston as if they don't need more distractions for the highways and byways of that big city in Texas. And lastly, in Virginia, you can get your Girl Scout cookies delivered via drone. That's a new service, a part of a Google affiliate that's delivering Girl Scout cookies to doorsteps around the town of Christianburg and the Commonwealth of Virginia. So no more interaction with the little girl, the cute little Girl Scouts. That's one reason, you know, admit it, that's one reason a lot of us buy Girl Scout cookies. It's not just for the incredible taste of one of the shortbread cookies or the dosey doughs and all the other choices they have these days. It's because you like to help out and you like to give that little Girl Scout money and her tell you thank you and just one of our great pastimes here in America. And I will tell you my latest Girl Scout observation about two months ago, I was in a restaurant and I saw where the Girl Scouts were there selling at this restaurant. And I was talking to a couple members of law enforcement. And this girl in her cute little Girl Scout uniform comes up to the table and says, I wanted to know, what is your favorite kind of Girl Scout cookie? She asked each of the law enforcement officials there, all in uniform, by the way. And they answered, and I didn't think much of it. And about five minutes later, little Girl Scout in her cute little Girl Scout uniform comes over and gives a box of Girl Scout cookies free of charge to each of those members of law enforcement That was pretty cool. And no, I didn't get one. I didn't deserve one. Thank you, law enforcement. And thank you to that great Girl Scout. I know in Boy Scouts, it's do a good turn daily. And she definitely did that. I don't know if that's motto is also with the GSA, but way to go, girl of the Girl Scouts. When we come back on the Y'all Show, there's some new movies in theaters this weekend. We'll tell you what they are when the Y'all Show Hour 2 continues. summer's evening on a train bound for nowhere i met up with a gambler we were both too tired to sleep so we took turns of staring out the window at the darkness to boredom overtook us and he began to speak he said son i've made a life out of reading people's faces. There's a song there from a pretty darn good movie starring Kenny Rogers. We lost Kenny about a year ago, sadly. And his death kind of overshadowed by all the hundreds of thousands of deaths of 2020 and 2021 to the coronavirus. He didn't die of coronavirus problems, but Kenny Rogers, the gambler here on the Y'all Show. Speaking of movies and such, hey, if you want to go to the theater... This weekend, you got a couple of different movies to choose from that are opening up around the land. Four Good Days is a drama. A mother helps her daughter work through four crucial days of recovery from substance abuse. That's a heavy-hitting movie. Myla Kunis uh, is, and Glenn Close, both in that one. 
Stephen Root also, a guy who is a native Floridian. I believe he is a Florida Gator alum, Stephen Root there. You might remember him from The Office, the, the movie Office, and a whole bunch of other movies Stephen Root uh, is in. Four Good Days, and that is opening here this week in theaters around the land. A drama out this weekend. Here are the young men, and that has an Irish connection as Dublin teenagers Matthew and the deranged Kearney leave school to a social vacuum of drinking and drugs falling into shocking acts of transgression. Just what you need, a good family movie. And here are the young men out this weekend. Finn Cole is among the stars of that movie. Separation is a horror movie. Rupert Friend, Brian Cox are in that. A young girl finds solace in her artist father and the ghost of her dead mother. Great family movie there also. Just kidding. Horror is the category for separation. Another horror movie. I don't know. I guess they kept a lot of these horror movies out for 2020 in the pandemic, and now they're finally hitting theaters. The Resort is another horror film out this weekend starring Brock O'Hearn and Michelle Randolph, Four friends head to Hawaii. That's not too uh, scary to head to Hawaii, is it? To investigate reports of a haunting at an abandoned resort in hopes of finding the infamous half-faced girl. When they arrive, they soon learn you should be careful what you wish for. The result out this weekend. How about this one? The new Oscar winner, Anthony Hopkins, stars in The Virtuoso. Danger, deception, and murder descend upon a sleepy town when a professional assassin accepts a new assignment from his enigmatic boss. The Virtuoso with Anthony Hopkins is out this weekend. And lastly, a biodrama, Percy versus Goliath, a Canadian farmer takes on a giant corporation after their GMOs interfere with his crops. Christopher Walken is in this one, as well as Roberta Maxwell, Percy versus Goliath in movie theaters this weekend. And that is a quick look at some movie choices, if that's something you'd like to partake here on this first weekend of May. When we come back, we'll get Hour 3 up and going. Art Cruz is ready to go, and we're going to talk about the NFL draft and a whole lot more. 803-816 is how you can get involved with the show that's all about the South. Hang on to your sombrero. More y'all is coming up. Time to get your Southern on. It's another hour of y'all as we get you ready for the weekend. The first weekend in May. John Rawl and Art Cruz here as we wrap up everything here for the week. Art Cruz on to talk a little football and horses as we got the running of the Kentucky Derby on Saturday. Art, we got to get your analysis now of what happened on Thursday night, round one of the 2021 NFL Draft? Did it go as you expected, sir? Oh, if anyone would listen to a recording of the podcast of the sh- Y'all Show from yesterday, I think they would be surprised at how closely it tracked what I predicted. John, I'm going to absolutely break my arm this morning in an attempt to pat myself on the back. <laughs> 
Bat or back or butt? Uh, on the back. Pat uh, myself on the butt would probably start too many rumors and is still against the law in many states, by the way. Oh, yesterday was a good day. Get through doing the y'all show and then you get to go home. Or, or I got to go home. Uh, light up a Rocky Patel cigar and watch the Cardinals and the Phillies who came on at noon uh, take a little break after that game watch some college baseball some good games on last night the best one was the uh, Tennessee Vols and uh, the Kentucky Wildcats and we're going to talk to you more about college baseball in a few minutes because okay. we've got to get we got to set the table for all of the weekend college baseball action but continue on and you then, got your cigar down and your baseball down and and, and then Last night, you know, one of the things that I used to just really not pay that much attention to in the sense that I'd read about it afterward, but the NFL draft was on. So um, just a, a, it has become a spectacle for television uh, and just a good day yesterday, jam-packed full of sporting events for, to watch from from noon to midnight practically. So All right. here I am to tell you about We it. want to know more about it, but you're going to have to tell me more about this cigar. I'd never heard of that brand. Tell me about it. Oh, Rocky Patel? Oh, Rocky Patel is a, is a fabulous cigar uh, out of Tampa. Uh, of course, anyone making cigars in Tampa has, of course, uh, Cuban influence. Rocky Patel cigars are my favorite. I've been around a good while now. Uh, if I can't get a good Rocky Patel, I may go Macanudo, and I always like to get Churchill in size. It sort of befits my fingers and uh, the time I like to smoke a cigar, so a nice Rocky Patel or a Macanudo. Uh, Maduro leaf, black leaf is my preference, and it's going to be a good day. Now, do you have to accompany that cigar with something to drink? Well, I do get something to drink, but you're talking of the alcoholic nature, of course. And uh, my goodness, John, you're getting personal. Well, here. I mean, I didn't know if it was required. No, no, it's not required. Okay. Uh, I wouldn't admit to you if I drank alcohol on the air. There's no way. I, no, I'm just kidding. I would. I've got a health problem that has required me to not imbibe in alcohol. I have a heart problem. Okay. So I just have to imagine that I'm taking okay. a, a nice But sip. if you didn't have that, you would probably oh. mix it with a drink. Like oh. a, is it, does it go with liquor? Oh, my gosh, yes. A nice bourbon. Bourbon? Okay. Oh, straight bourbon. And not a blend like Jack Daniels, but straight bourbon whiskey. Oh, I, w- I would love to imbibe in that once again, but it's been a while. You can only make me dream, John. Okay. But not a Budweiser. That probably wouldn't be a good match. Oh, yeah. Oh, There's nothing be. wrong with that at all. Absolutely not. I know We're just trying to help people get ready for the Kentucky Derby oh, this Saturday. Listen, so. there's absolutely <laughs> nothing wrong if you want to. And I think a Budweiser, quite frankly, goes with a with a good cigar better than what you might think of when you think Kentucky Derby, and that's mint juleps and drinks of that nature. Just a little too sweet. Um, but a, a nice, high-quality craft beer, or even a Budweiser, as you say, right. would be nice. Uh, but, yeah, I love my cigars. All right. Well, we'll have to include more conversation about cigars as we – Roll all along. So I don't know if you lit a cigar when Trevor Lawrence got drafted number one in the 2021 NFL draft, but I don't know if he lit one. But uh, I listened to an interview. We actually played it in an hour one of today's y'all show. His dog was sure happy as he did an interview with the media of Jacksonville in the hours after the draft, and his dog was barking up a storm there in Seneca, South Carolina. I wonder why he didn't. I mean, he knew he was going, and I. You may know this. I'm. I'm not asking this as a rhetorical question, but. 
it's very seldom that the consensus number one pick, like Trevor Lawrence, does not show up at the site of the draft, in this in this case, Cleveland. Did it ever come out, or have you ever heard anyone say why he stayed at home and didn't attend the draft itself? I don't know. You know I, I, I was actually a little stunned that I didn't see Dabo Sweeney. He, know, he wasn't there for him or Travis Etienne, who went also to the Jaguars in the first round. Usually, if there's a camera around, Dabo will find it. <laughs> uh, and so I have no idea where he is. It seems to me that, of course, just speaking personally, if I was going to be the number one pick in the NFL draft, obviously it can only happen one time in your life. I would want to go and soak it in with my family, of course, but I'd want to go and soak it in at the side of the draft. Um, get the hug from the commissioner of football, Roger Goodell. And um, it just seems like an experience that, for some reason, he decided not to engage in. I don't know if it was COVID-related or not, but a little surprised he didn't show up. Is he going to be as good as the the projections for him are? Oh, I think so. I I think uh, he's one of these can't-miss quarterbacks. I think uh, there are very few like him that come along um, you know, people every year look at quarterbacks and and say that this quarterback or that quarterback is the is the best prospect we've seen since, and then fill in the blank of a name of a quarterback. But I think I think uh, Trevor Lawrence is probably the best quarterback prospect that I've seen since Andrew Luck came out of uh, came out of Stanford. Uh, he's just got all the tools. Uh, he's got the mentality. He's, he's got the, the arm strength, the accuracy. He's a winner. Uh, I, there's just no downside to him. So I, I have no doubt but that he's going to be an absolutely one of those quarterbacks that lives up to his billing. Do you think his head coach is going to be as good at the NFL level as he was at the college level? You know, that is the question. It is a totally different game isn't it john i mean at the college level you are the boss if you're the head coach and not only are you the boss and you generally have players that will accept coaching and do what you want them to do you really don't have a chance to wear out your players in terms of your coaching style because there's a constant turnover in college obviously you can only stay a limited amount of time in college. Once you graduate, you either go to another school or move on uh, to another field of endeavor or go to the NFL. In the NFL, Urban Meyer has to be more of a manager of personalities. And you don't get that in college. So how will he do when he's dealing with men? You deal with young men in college, but you're dealing with grown men with families and you tell a grown man you need to take this blocking sled and move it from point a to point b he's going to ask you why and he's going to ask some questions uh, that you may have to answer whereas in college you might tell a kid it's look kid you've got the locker i've got the office there's a reason for that do what i say you can't get away with that at the nfl level and the professional level who knows urban meyer uh will he succeed i like his first round draft pick trevor lawrence i quite frankly didn't like his late first round draft pick when he reunited trevor lawrence and uh, trevor lawrence is running back from clemson 
Travis Etienne. That was a shocker. I see no reason for them to have drafted a running back in that situation. Jacksonville has so many holes to fill. Now, was that all Urban Meyer? No, probably not. He's not the sole arbiter on personnel for the Jacksonville Jaguars. But, gee whiz, that was a... To me, that was a rocky start to the draft for the Urban Meyer tenure. Let me run through the top ten draft picks of Thursday night's draft. Lawrence to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Zach Wilson, signal caller out of BYU. He goes to the New York Jets. Another signal caller, this from Fargo, North Dakota, comes Trey Lance, and he goes to the San Francisco 49ers with the third pick. Florida Gator Kyle Pitts, tight end, goes to the Atlanta Falcons. The Cincinnati Bengals stay with LSU this year. And Jamar Chase is picked by the Bengals of the Queen City to go suit up alongside Joe Burrow. Chase, a wide receiver, come out of Coach O's program. Alabama wide receiver Jalen Waddell, the non-Heisman Trophy wide receiver out of Alabama. He is picked to go to the Miami Dolphins. Well, he'll be suiting up alongside Tua Tagovailoa. Panay Sewell of Oregon, offensive tackle, who sat out the 2020 season he is a detroit line picked seventh by motown a, a surprise to me jc horn of south carolina the gamecock now is going to be going up the road interstate 77 90 minutes from columbia to be a carolina panther cornerback for carolina the gamecocks that is now a panther patrick certain the second is going to be a denver bronco as the broncos choose his cornerback out of the capstone to be the ninth pick And then another capstone football player, your Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, picked by the Philadelphia Eagles in the 10th spot. And that is your top 10. Art Cruz, what do you think of this top 10? What do I think of the top 10? Well, I'll I'll look at them. I think maybe some – there's more to look at with some of the picks as opposed to the others. We've already looked at uh, Trevor Lawrence at number one pick. Number two pick was – what we discussed yesterday, John, uh, Zach Wilson, we all knew was going to the Jets. Uh, quite frankly, Zach Wilson has had one good year at BYU. Was that last year, 2020? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did, you, did you see their schedule? Well, they, they don't ever play a good schedule. Uh, I, I assume you're talking about that. They played the North Alabama Lions. Mm-hmm. They played at Coastal Carolina, mm-hmm. which I don't think is that great, but mm-hmm. they just got lucky with the way things worked out last year, and that right. was about the two biggest games they had. That's what I'm saying. They, they don't ever play a good schedule. Uh, this is a totally different game for Zach Wilson now. Uh, he hasn't even played, and I'm sorry if I've upset Brigham Young fans out there, but Zach Wilson hasn't even played a major college schedule yet, and now he's graduating far beyond the SEC Big Ten and going to the NFL, I think he's going to be in for a steep, steep learning curve. But the biggest pick that but came along. to his credit, yeah, I don't think he got hit by the ugly stick. I think he'll do pretty good in his advertising and endorsements there in New York City. Oh, man. I, I, would, I would, no telling what I would give up for that guy's hair. I mean, <laughs> he will make a mint in endorsing mousse and other hair products alone. Uh, and his hair is never out of place. I'll give him props for yeah. that. The third pick, though, was the intriguing pick for me. The first pick that really, I mean, I, I almost was dozing on the first two. 
San Francisco 49ers. And, John, you and I discussed yesterday. I made a point to say, and this is falls under the category of me, again, breaking my arm to pat myself on the back. I went on and on yesterday how I did not believe that Mac Jones was a top talented quarterback. He was did not have the raw arm talent or, quite frankly, any other talent to be a top three NFL pick. And I said, although all the talking heads were saying that Mac Jones was going to be chosen at number three by the 49ers, I didn't believe it. I, I, I even told my son, I even made a small side wager with my son last mm. night that Mac Jones would not be picked number three, and he wasn't. Instead of picking Mac Jones at number three, of course, the 49ers chose Trey Lance. Now, really the big news of the draft started yesterday afternoon and aligned quite nicely with this 49ers number three pick. I have always wondered, why did the 49ers trade up? To get the number three pick, when the, to me there is a precipitous drop after the first quarterback taken, of course, uh, and then you have the number two quarterback, Zach Wilson. Now, in my mind, he doesn't compare at all with Trey Lawrence. And certainly no quarterback after that compares with Trey Lawrence. So why are the San Francisco 49ers, who have a good coach, a good front office, great at at, um, evaluating personnel, John Lynch, their general manager, so far? It always intrigued me. Why are they moving up for three? They're not moving up to get Mac Jones. I mean, I never believed that. As it turns out, John, it seems that the reason the 49ers moved up to that number three pick in the draft is they planned all along to trade that pick to the Green Bay Packers as part of a package deal for Aaron Rodgers. Mm. Because it came out yesterday through Adam Schefter, Ian Rappaport, and other guys who are really plugged into the NFL that Aaron Rodgers has told the Green Bay Packers, I've played my last game in Green Bay. I'm not coming back. Now, this all started with last year's draft when Aaron Rodgers really wanted the Packers to draft someone to give him an extra weapon on offense. And not only did the Packers not do that, they stuck the knife in Aaron Rodgers as deeply as they could with their pick. Not only did they not take a wide receiver, not only did they not take a tight end, not only did they not take an additional offensive lineman, Not only did they not help Aaron Rodgers out with a pick, they chose a quarterback (laughs) in the first round. A quarterback. Jordan Love. That guy is not going – he may be the Packer quarterback of the future, but he's certainly not going to help the Packers right now. But, I mean, come on, that guy was an Aggie. Uh, Well – He's also a bench warmer right now. A uh, Utah State Aggie is what right, I was trying. Right. I thought you were going no, no, to pick I, on no, there. No, I, I knew from whence you were coming there, John. <laughs> but uh, absolutely the worst pick and the worst slap in the face the Packers could have made to Aaron Rodgers. Now, at the time, Aaron Rodgers poured himself three fingers of bourbon and sat down and smiled. And had one of them Patel cigars. And a Rocky Patel cigar. But reportedly, not soon after that, 
He told Green Bay that he was through with them, that he would not play another. And Green Bay, again, this comes from sources like Adam Schefter and Ian Rappaport. Green Bay told him, we'll trade you. We will trade you. No problem. And Aaron Rodgers was especially upset later on, up to and including yesterday, when the San Francisco 49ers were not able to make a deal with the Packers. The Packers refused to deal with the 49ers, refused to deal Aaron Rodgers to the 49ers. So, in essence, the 49ers got stuck with that third pick. They never intended to make a draft pick out of that three-hole. They expected to send that pick to the to the Packers in exchange for Aaron Rodgers. And of course, there would have been others involved in that deal, other draft picks, and possibly other players. But no, the mystery to me now is solved. Never, never did the 49ers <laughs> intend to take Mac Jones. Never did they intend to take a quarterback. But they got stuck. I guess you could say, with uh, Trey Lance now. Now, he's going to drive the bench the first year. He's not going to supplant Jimmy Garoppolo. Trey Lance is not NFL ready. I'm I'm not hating on Trey Lance. It's just that he's not experienced enough, John. He has only thrown just over 300 passes in his college career. Career. Mm. Normally, you throw that many in a year. But he has only thrown 300 passes in his entire college career. He's not experienced right now. He's not nearly NFL ready. He did not play for a major uh, Division One program. So um, the, the 49ers really got their plans derailed yesterday. Well, when the 49ers went with Lance, I was happy because I thought that automatically w- was going to mean, based on what you projected on Thursday's show, that the Falcons would indeed go with a tight end at four. The Bengals went with a wide receiver at five. Now, what, now, what, now wait a minute. Let's don't, don't skip over that Bengals. I said the Bengals were going to go wide receiver, and I said that was going to be a mistake because they ought to draft Panay Sewell to help protect Joe Burrow. And once again, John, I was right on that. They did draft Jamar Chase, and once again, I'll say that's a mistake. Okay. That's a mistake. Well, Jalen Waddell, Alabama, goes a wide receiver to the Dolphins. Sewell, the aforementioned Sewell, did get picked by the Lions. A smart pick by them. And then I thought the Panthers were going to get a quarterback in Mac Jones at eight because they've got uh, they've got the Jets' former quarterback Sam Darnold now in Charlotte. And that is not a signed, sealed, and delivered deal. They have to choose in the next couple of days whether they're going to keep him beyond this year. And I thought that Mac Jones could come to Charlotte and be maybe a, a, an heir apparent there. They went with J.C. Horn, the Panthers did. And I'm sorry, I keep up with SEC a little. I'd never heard of cornerback J.C. Horn. Art, I know you're on top of SEC East football more than me. Who is this guy? Uh, to me, he's one of the top two corners, uh, along with Patrick Sertain in the draft. You'd he, heard of him. Oh, absolutely. Okay. Said, sure. He has um, great hip twitch he has great closing speed uh he's a playmaker uh, he has good size for a corner didn't surprise me a bit as you know yesterday i i said that the the panthers would not go quarterback they would go defense and that's you a, said that i'm gonna go back and listen i don't back, believe you go back and listen to it <laughs> uh art cruz 
unequivocally said that the Panthers would not go quarterback, that Sam Darnold would be their quarterback of the future, that he was in a great position with Carolina because Joe Brady, who was the LSU offensive coordinator when Joe Burrow was at LSU, is now the offensive coordinator at Carolina. Matt Rule, one of the best offensive minds in the NFL, is there. And they're going to take a young, young quarterback because – He's only 23 years old right now, and that is, and he's played in the NFL for several years. So Sam Darnold has a lot of growth potential. I think he's going to become a very, very good NFL quarterback. So, no, I think it was a great pick, uh, J.C. Yeah, Hyde, well, this is Art Cruz talking. And, Art, I just want to say thank you. We appreciate it. I know after this show's over with, you're going to get recruited to a much bigger entity than the Y'all Show, maybe even to the uh, – to the mothership and replace Mel Kiper because you, you, you evidently know more than these guys, which is not saying a whole lot for those guys because those guys I don't think are that great. Well, I, I don't, I could never compete with Mel Kiper's hair. I mean, that, <laughs> that is that, that is epic. I noticed last night though that when they when uh, Mike, I watched some of the ESPN coverage and some of the coverage on the NFL Network. Mike Greenberg, who hosted the NFL the NFL draft coverage on ESPN, when he would introduce Mel Kuyper Jr., he would always add, well, here's the person who invented the NFL draft, Mel Kuyper. And I told my son, I said, you know, that's not that far from the truth because before Mel Kuyper came along, the NFL draft was a thing. People paid attention to it because they wanted to see where their team would go, who they would pick. But Mel Kuyper made this event become what it is today. Hmm. Mel Kuyper, I remember when he came on the TV screen, just blew you away with his in-depth knowledge of all these players across college football and what their strengths were and what their weaknesses were and just really lambasting NFL teams when they made poor draft picks. And I didn't believe this guy for a minute. I thought nobody can know that much about this many college football players and their status in the draft. But Mel Kuyper, he was not reading it off a teleprompter. This was his passion. It's still his passion. And uh, he's just an amazing guy. And he's made it He's made it a, the event that it is today. And he is a Southerner, although not uh, maybe as deep redneck as Where's a lot from? of us. He's Where's from he? Baltimore. I did not know that. Which is a border state, of course. We've got more NFL draft analysis coming up after the break. Also, we're going to get Art's take on college baseball. That's big time this weekend. We'll let you know about that as more of the Y'all Show Hour 3 continues after this. Continuing on with y'all, talk with a Southern accent, John and Art here. And if you want to be a part of the show, weigh in with the draft or anything else on your mind that connects to the Southeast, we'd love to hear it. 803-816-1170 is how you can be a part of y'all. We're continuing to look back at round one of the NFL draft that was held Thursday night in Cleveland, just outside of the Brown Stadium, Trevor Lawrence went number one to the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now we're going to pick up with drafts 11 through 20 real quick, get Art Cruz's perception of what happened 
with that and with the 11th pick in the NFL draft, Ohio State went with the former Bulldog and Buckeye QB Justin Fields. Uh, or rather, he went to the Chicago Bears from Ohio State, Justin Fields. Penn State went with uh, linebacker Micah Parsons. Northwestern's Rashawn Slater went to the L.A. Chargers. The Trojans of USC, their player Elijah Tucker went to the New York Jets. Mac Jones, Alabama, went to the New England Patriots with the 15th pick in the draft. At 16, the Arizona Cardinals went with Zaven Collins out of the Tulsa Golden Hurricane. Alabama's Alex Leatherwood went 17 to the Las Vegas Raiders. Jalen Phillips of the Miami Hurricanes is going to stay in Miami as he'll be suiting up for the Dolphins. They had the 18th pick. Then you had a Kentucky Wildcat being selected at number 19 by the Washington football team. Jamin Davis going to the WFT. And lastly, from the 11 through 20 picks, Florida Gator Kadarius Tony went to the New York Football Giants. Your thoughts on 11 through 20, Art? Well, the, the, the fact remains that the Chicago Bears quarterback situation is the biggest slump in sports history. Uh, the quarterback has been addressed once again by the Bears. They've addressed it several times the past few years. They drafted Mike Glennon. They drafted uh, Mitchell Trubisky. But the fact remains that the Bears haven't really had a decent quarterback. They haven't had an all-pro quarterback since Johnny Lujak in 1950. And before that, it was Sid Luckman. And yes, I'm fully aware that the Bears won the Super Bowl uh, in 1986. But Jim McMahon was not was not a Pro Bowl-level quarterback. The Bears reached once again with Justin Fields, and it remains to be seen whether they have solved their quarterback problems or whether it will continue for another 50 or 60 years. I want to address next, uh, John, the number 15 pick, Mac Jones. I said yesterday, and once again, you can listen to yesterday's show if uh, if you don't believe me. But Y'all.com or uh, Apple Podcasts. I said that if Mac Jones was not picked at number three, and he wasn't, he was going to fall, fall, fall in the draft. And that's what he did. He fell all the way to number 15. But at that point, John, uh, Alabama, if you ever wondered why Alabama dominates college football, at 15 you had Mac Jones taken. At 17 you had Alex Leatherwood taken, offensive tackle from Alabama. At that point, 17 picks had been made, five of them. 34% of the picks in the first round of the NFL draft were from Alabama. It, that, to me, is if you are wondering, why does Alabama win year after year after year? It's because, quite frankly, they have the best players. And that was a point was only enhanced last night when, again, five of the first 17 and six of the first 24 players picked were Alabama Crimson Tide members. Art, Nick Saban has been the head coach in Tuscaloosa for 15 years. Mm -hmm. In those 15 years, this multiple national champion coach in T-Town has had a total of 23 losses as Alabama's head coach in 15 years. He has had 33 first-round NFL draft picks mm -hmm. in his time in Tuscaloosa. So he's got more draft picks than losses, 33 over 23. In my earlier life, there was no doubt in my mind that the greatest coach I had ever seen in college football was Bear Bryant. 
But I'm just as convinced now as I was back then that Bear Bryant was the greatest coach of all time, that Nick Saban has supplanted mm-hmm. Bear Bryant as the greatest college football coach of all time. It is amazing that a man would have more first-round draft picks than he does losses. And it's not even close, the number no. that you just mentioned, John. <laughs> no. And then and, and then this is not something that he's, he has done historically, and his days are, are winding down, and he's looking for the nearest couch to lie down on. Here we are in the latest draft last night. 34% of the first 17 players Alabama, a full one-fourth of the first 24 players, Alabama. No mystery at all now why they're number one. And we didn't see Nick Saban there in Cleveland last night. So I wonder if Nick Saban and Dabo Sweeney were hanging out somewhere. I think they share a lake there in North Georgia that they both go to. You know, he can't coach forever, John. Who Who's going to take Nick Saban's place? It's, to me... You know, it, it, you don't want to follow the guy. If you're a coach, you want to follow the guy who follows the guy. And whoever replaces Nick Saban is going to have you – know, if you don't win a national championship practically every year, you're a failure. Mm. And, of course, the odds-on favorite is Dabo Sweeney. But that's not going to happen. But I don't think that's going to happen either. Dabo Sweeney has built his brand at Clemson. There's no reason in my mind – other than the fact that Dabo Sweeney is an Alabama Alabama alum, to go back to Alabama, I, you just wonder where they're going. I wonder, and then I stop wondering it real quickly because I figure they'll be okay. Uh, Alabama's always been okay, and they'll be okay after Nick Saban too. Another, another player that tried out for a team uh, that was sort of a surprise to me, I read last night that Tim Tebow hmm. had tried out for the Jacksonville Jaguars, as a tight end. Now, of course, there's a always been a love affair between Tim Tebow and Urban Meyer, and I find it interesting that Tebow is trying to revive uh, his NFL career. Uh, his baseball career didn't go uh, exactly like he planned. A lot of people like to make fun of Tim Tebow. I have a world of respect for Tim Tebow. I'm not a Florida Gators fan. In fact, don't like the Florida Gators at all. But I'm talking about the man, Tim Tebow, who has stood by his principles no matter how much he's mocked or made fun of. And the man, face it, guys, he's a professional in not just one sport. He's a professional in two sports. He played baseball and football at their highest level. And although it's probably a little late, Age-wise, for Tim Tebow to come back, I'm pulling for the guy. I'd like to see him get back in the NFL. I think he can do it. And, of course, Jacksonville's his hometown, so we'll find out what happens. Picks 21 through 32 on Thursday night's draft. Quiddy Pay went to the Indianapolis Colts. How about the Titans? They surprised some people with their 22nd pick. They picked Hokie Caleb Farley. 23, another Hokie. Christian Derisaw went to the Vikings. Najee Harris, Alabama running back, went 24th to the Steelers. Another Clemson player, Travis Etienne, to the Jacksonville Jaguars with the 25th pick. Greg Newsom II from Northwestern went to the Cleveland Browns. Rashad Bateman from the Gophers went to the Baltimore Ravens with the 27th pick. Houston Cougar Peyton Turner was selected by the New Orleans Saints with the 28th pick. Eric Stokes of the Georgia Bulldogs went to the Green Bay Packers with the 29th pick. 
Miami's Gregory Russo was selected by the Buffalo Bills with the 30th pick. Penn State's off outside linebacker Jason Owa was selected by the Baltimore Ravens with the 31st pick. And rounding out the night was your Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, selecting Washington Husky Joe Tryon, a linebacker there with that final pick. Thoughts on that bevy of talent? Well, I was completely caught off guard by the Titans pick. Of course, I thought all along that the Titans would draft Elijah Moore. And, and you it, said it on Thursday show. If you don't believe me, go listen go to it. Go listen to it. If you don't believe that I can be wrong from time to time, listen to yesterday's show, and you'll find <laughs> out that I was absolutely, completely, 100% wrong about the Titans draft pick. I thought they would go Elijah Moore. And as it turns out, not only was I wrong about the Titans, I was wrong about Elijah Moore. He wasn't picked anywhere in the first round. The Titans picked Caleb Farley a defensive back from Virginia Tech, a hokey, as you say, John. I really was shocked, dismayed, not disappointed, because I'm sure Caleb Farley is going to to, – he has the tools to be a cornerback in the NFL, and he has the tools to be a fine cornerback. And cornerback was a position of need for the Titans. Of their four defensive backs from last year's team, three of them are gone. According, uh, um, even their number one cornerback, uh, Adoree Jackson. They have made a deal with for Janoris Jackson. They did need another cornerback. But Caleb Farley, for I keep mentioning his name quizzically, and the reason, John, is normally do you take a chance on a guy that's had multiple back surgeries in college because Caleb Farley has had multiple back surgeries in college. Did you see the interview with him or the video of him when he was selected? He was wearing some kind of back brace. He looked like a, It looked like a hostage video. He was there all by himself. He, he, he was by himself because of COVID, I understand, contact tracing. He had some sort of contraption on that really bothered me as a Titans fan. <laughs> Why does this guy having to do having to wear a knee? Uh, excuse me, a back brace on television? I would say, well, I trust in John Robinson, the general manager of the Titans. I trust that they have researched his medical history. I trust that they would not have drafted someone if there was any question about his back. I can't say that because I said that last year that I trusted John Robinson when they drafted Isaiah Wilson. The worst draft pick in the history of the oh NFL draft. Oh, my goodness gracious. Isaiah Wilson was picked to be the other bookend on the Titans' offensive line uh, to play right tackle opposite Taylor Lewan at left tackle. And Isaiah Wilson got on the field, as I recall, for four snaps last year. Three of them were – Special for the teams. victory for the victory formation. Oh, is that what it when was? When just when when uh, when Ryan Tannehill was just taking a knee, uh, he he didn't want to play football, and so the Titans, in exchange for a bag of used footballs and a couple of rolls of tape, traded him to the Miami Dolphins. He lasted less than a week in Miami. Miami has released him, and now you have the number one draft choice from last year for the Titans, Isaiah Wilson's completely out of football. And last year I said, I trust John Robinson. 
Well, I don't know if I trust John Robinson or not this year. I'm more like a citizen of the great state of Missouri now. You're going to have to show me. I hope Caleb Farley is or does fulfill his promise. The Titans need a corner, but gee whiz, what a reach. What a reach for the Titans. Yeah, that was a reach for sure. Of course, Farley is known in the college football world because he was the very first college football player to opt out. His father or mother had actually died not long before the coronavirus outbreak, and he chose to be the first player in college football to opt out. I was not aware of that. Because he didn't want his father to also die of a virus or something like that. So that that was that. Yeah, you have some kids that that opted out. You have Trey Lance that played one game last year. You have Panay Sewell that opted out. I didn't know Caleb Farley. I knew he opted out. I was not aware that he was the trailblazer in terms terms of opting out. But um, I would suppose the Titans felt as though they had enough film, they had enough video, they had enough background on him to make him their number one draft pick in spite of these micro surgeries. And these are micro-surgeries. These, this is not uh, open surgeries where a significant uh, – it's not a significant back surgery when compared to, let's say, a laminectomy or a, or a disectomy. But nonetheless, you have a young man. Or a vasectomy. Don't leave that one out. Well, golly, Bill, you really. T- <laughs> I thought I was getting a little close the other day when you mentioned the election, uh, the presidential elections, and I said it was in November. And I wondered why you were still wondering about the election because I had always thought that if an election lasted more than four hours, you're supposed <laughs> to call your physician. Uh, uh, but anyway. Uh, <sighs> I'm going to trust John Robinson until I don't. But quite frankly, if John Robinson misses on this one, uh, I think John Robinson could be on the hot seat. Yeah. I don't know if you can trust John Robinson, but you can sure trust John Rawl. And I trust Art Cruz in telling me real quickly, what are your thoughts heading into rounds two and three, which are taking place Friday night in Cleveland? What do you expect? Well, a lot of people quit watching the draft after round one, but so many good players are taken in rounds two and three and four. I'm going to be really honed in on, number one, what the Jaguars do in order to build that team around uh, Trevor Lawrence. I'm really going to be seeing who the Titans are going to get in terms of helping A.J. Brown. As of right now, the Titans don't have a wide receiver other than taxi squad guys to help Arthur Juan Brown, who in my mind is going to be one of the top receivers in the NFL. The Titans have got to be able to throw the football in order to take pressure off of Derrick Henry. And right now they can't throw it too well because they lost all their receivers from last year. Tight end Johnny Smith, uh, they lost the remainder of uh, their wide receiver core to free agency. They need to get some help at wide receiver. And um, I'm just going to sit back, not with a Rocky Patel cigar necessarily today, but I'm going to be watching again to see the direction these teams are going, not necessarily the player each team takes. I don't know if I can make this point finally enough or not, John, but you look at this draft at this stage and you don't necessarily look at the player's skill, but you look at what you think the team is trying to do from a philosophical standpoint in choosing a player in round two, three, and four. Do they, are they really 
drafting to their strength? Are they moving away from what they do best? For instance, I know in Indianapolis for years and years drafted offense, offense, offense when Peyton Manning was quarterback and Marvin Harrison was wide receiver. Well, they knew what they were. They were an offensive team. They knew they were going to have to outscore people. So they didn't change their philosophy during the draft and give up what could be more offensive weapons for Peyton Manning and draft defense. Let's see what philosophic direction the teams go with their picks tonight. He may not be breaking out the Rocky Patel cigar for rounds two and three of the NFL draft, but Art Cruz might be pulling that cigar out for more college baseball action. Thursday night, the only top 25 team in action was the Tennessee Volunteers, and the Vols spanked the Kentucky Wildcats, number four Tennessee winning 14-4 to over the Batcats of UK. This weekend's top 25 college baseball lineup, if you want to get out to a diamond near you, some of the ballparks like LSU are now at 100% capacity, by the way. Top 25 action going on this weekend, and also including Kentucky and Tennessee in Rocky Top land. You got Notre Dame hosting North Carolina. TCU's got a Big 12 series with the West Virginia Mountaineers. FSU's out of conference with the Troy Trojans there in Tallahassee. A CUSA battle as the Charlotte 49ers will be at Norfolk to take on Old Dominion. Louisiana Tech will be in the borough. Middle Tennessee State host Louisiana Tech, Tech ranked number 16 in college baseball. Southern Miss to the top. The Golden Eagles will be in Houston to take on Rice in a series this weekend. At Duty Noble, Mississippi State's ranked number six, and they welcome in the Aggies of Texas A&M. The Louisville Cardinals and Dan McDonald will be in Clemson to take on the Tigers. Louisville is ranked number seven in college baseball. East Carolina out of the American, they're ranked number 10. They'll be in Wichita to take on the Shockers this weekend. It'll be a big battle in Austin. It'll be televised on the Austin, uh, on the Longhorn Network as Texas hosts Texas Tech. That's a battle of top 11 teams there. Also in college baseball on Saturday, you've got Vanderbilt at Florida. The Gators 14, Florida's number two. It'll be a top 20 game at Swayze Field as this weekend South Carolina is at Mississippi. That is a series that's going to be partly televised by the SEC Network. Number one, Arkansas will be at Alex Box Stadium where the 100 percent capacity LSU fans and attendants will welcome in the number one Arkansas Razorbacks and that's a quick look at our southern teams in the top 25 and the series they have on the diamond this weekend you're going to be tuning in some of this fun art I got ESPN plus for one reason and one reason only is to wallet watch college baseball I've I'm amazed, and I'm not being. This is not a, a, a paid endorsement by any stretch of the imagination. But I never cease to be amazed by watching ESPN Plus. How many college baseball games one can sit and watch? If you really want to sit and watch college baseball, that's the place to be because you can watch teams from Vanderbilt, Arkansas. Tennessee, South Carolina, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, top teams in the SEC, all the way down to teams like my alma mater, the University of Tennessee at Martin. I mean, there is a broad swath of, of teams that you can enjoy, and I plan on doing that all weekend. Shout out to the Skyhawks here on the Y'all Show. 
All right, we've got a segment of fun coming up after this. You don't want to miss it as we conclude this third third hour of the Friday Y'all Show. Stay with us. kind of winding things down here on this end of the week celebration of the y'all show taking a look at headlines from around the story and a developing story art crews on the man with just like zach wilson good hair matt gates back in the news the daily beast with a story out about how a matt gates associate wrote in a letter that the congressman paid for sex with a minor Art Cruz, before his big role here on the Y'all Show, spent uh, a few hours as an attorney. How would you best advise Matt Gates, Attorney Cruz? Well, the first thing I would advise him to do is shut his mouth. Uh, <laughs> Comb his hair. Matt Gates, uh, when this allegation first came out, the first thing he did was hop on Fox News. And in my mind, it was an ill-fated attempt to uh, try to try his case in the public or at least to try to win public support but a grown man getting on television and answering allegations about what he supposedly did with a minor uh, Matt Gates has been a bomb thrower for years and these people these bomb throwers if you notice in Washington uh, you better have a squeaky clean past and i'm not saying matt gates doesn't but that's the reason quite frankly a lot of things don't get done in our government now that need to get done because in order to get things done sometimes you've got to step out front and expose yourself to these personal attacks and a lot of people most of us john are human and we have things in our closet that we don't want to be brought out into the public and Matt Gates, seemingly, because of his bomb throwing for years and near years, is now being personally attacked. I don't know if it's true. I don't know if it's not true. I don't know if it's partially true. But the best thing Matt Gates can do right now is stay off of the television, let his representatives do the talking. Uh, he is a, a member of the United States House. That's what he does best. He needs to hire a public relations firm. He needs to hire an attorney and let his attorney and his public relations firm do what they do best. Matt Gates out front, even with his good hair, John, uh, does not present the best defense for this allegation. And the story out today from the Daily Beast says that Joel Greenberg, a figure in the ongoing investigation into Florida Republican Matt Gates from the Panhandle wrote in a letter obtained by the Daily Beast that he, Greenberg, and Gates paid for sex with multiple women, including a minor who was 17 at the time. A developing story here on the Y'all Show, not looking good. We'll wrap things up after this break here on Talk with a Southern Accent.
All righty, we have come to the end of the Friday edition of Y'all. We hope everybody has a great weekend. We know what Art Cruz is going to be doing, a little baseball watching and a little NFL draft and maybe even some honeydews. Maybe not. If the honeydews involve playing golf this weekend, I will be first in line <laughs> for that duty. All right, Art, it's been a pleasure being on with you today Thank and throughout you, the week. Look forward to Hanging out with you and everybody else out there come Monday. Have a wonderful weekend. Don't forget the running of the Kentucky Derby, the 147th running Saturday afternoon from Louisville. We'll be back here Monday. Have a great weekend, y'all.